Welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast, and we're reviewing a big weekend of your of the URC final, the Premiership final, and even a Springbok squad that's been released as well. I am Tala, and today I am joined by Sean and Cooks. Cooks, let me check. Let me first check in with you. How are you doing? I actually had a chance to see you, and you confirmed that you did not have a beef um, with any of us, as maybe rumors were happening on the social media. Yeah, I got a lot of people. How's it, Jensen? How's it, everyone? Yeah, a lot of people asking me like, like, am I still part of Rugby Bits? Is there is there beef? Like, I'm on and Jared's off and Jared's on. I'm off. So let's to confirm there is no, <laughs> there is there is no beef. <laughs> yeah, Sean, I think there was yeah, there's some rumors flying around that you cooked so too many um, comments from you about Rico Ioane and he had to leave Rugby Bits. Well, yeah, it's because he couldn't really back up. Uh, um, uh, Finn Russell and Russing anymore. So, who incidentally yeah, are, are into the playoffs. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, I didn't even know. So, what do you think so I'm back? You, what, what yeah, do you think exactly. I'm back? Exactly. I know. <laughs> really, I'm back. When you put it in, I know what's happening. Um, yeah. So, so really, eh? so there was a bit of a bit of a rift between you and Jared. We might as well, Tyler, we might as well just get this, uh, like snowball this little situation now that Jared's not going to be available for the next two weeks. We might as well build it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm here for that. I'm here for the drama. Perfect. No, there's no, no drama, no drama. Just, just, just in case Jared writes a, a terrible article on me on, on Planet <laughs> Rugby, so I make sure there's no drama. <laughs> yeah you can't you can't mess with it's a planet rugby right you can't mess with jared he has he has a a big platform now he has yeah. too much power now you might you might put you might put it a ranking system in our podcasting skills so we've got to be good to him <laughs> sure and on that yo um i know i shared it on the group but flip guys like we've uh managed last week for the first time in ages to to top the rankings in south africa for rugby podcasts so that's pretty flipping well we're done back back where we're we on top yeah man just in time for for the international season and the world cup like i couldn't think of a better time to hit form we like the, we like the crusaders we're terrible in feb and um we just we can't <laughs> <laughs> we started eating June. We started eating our straps, and then I could uh, like, no, we championship time. Now we're, now we're in top form again. Oh, well played. <laughs> yeah, no, we are back. Yeah, and yeah, just a welcome also to our rugby bits um, um, listeners, our dirt trackers. Please like and share, subscribe to the podcast. And make sure you share it with the rugby world. We want to stay on top of the the. Um, Apple Podcast rugby um, rankings there in South Africa. We want to take over any other country as well. Georgia, we're coming for you. Austria, we're coming for you. Indonesia, Brazil, all of the countries, we're coming for you. We're going to be We've got number one in, in, in a lot of countries next few years. I know. I mentioned them for a reason. The other ones I made wow. up. <laughs> no, no, we we pretty, like, it's pretty spread out. I had a look at it. Like, obviously, South Africa, um, the United Kingdom and and uh and europe or ireland united kingdom and ireland i think ireland's uk then ireland then europe and then australia those are the the heavy hitters and then uh, after that we spread out all over the show yeah so we 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 can definitely get some world domination up by the world cup but let's get into the first phase for this week's uh for for this podcast and actually sean came up with this I'll, i'll start with him but Basically, the first phase today was name a, let me just get the exact wording for it, but basically 
you know, every team has that one player that's a club legend, but doesn't really get any test matches um, or, or, or test caps um, for the um, for their country. So you know, we want to highlight, highlight and celebrate those club legends. Sean, you chose, I think, Ross Maloney and Jackson Ray in that um, in the in the picture. I think those yeah. two are probably the best examples of that. Yeah, I mean, it's been quite like spoken about with Ross Maloney and wondering when he's going to get a call up because he's been so brilliant for Leinster this year. Um, so, you know, he's kind of been a, a no-brainer no brainer to start in big games. Um, and considering the, the, the quality they get to select from and the international quality they have, whether they're Irish or South African or whatnot, he's, he's always there and thereabouts. So he was one. And then Jackson Ray is another. Jackson Ray, I mean, is pretty well-known. I think he gave up on, on well, like, kind of knew deep down a long time ago that England weren't going to select him, but um, yeah, brilliant. My guy, and it was mentioned, um, I think Andre Hill mentioned, mentioned it, but my guy was Jacques Boetis for the Sharks. He was, uh, oh, what's he, what did he finish on? Like 260, 280 games for the Sharks. But he was there week in, week out, just absolutely steamrolling opponents all the time. Like just a brilliant, brilliant performer. And never ever got a look in. I don't even think he made a, a book squad. He must have made something somewhere along the line. But yeah, uncapped. I was I had such a blank today trying to think of um of more. But there's so many players out there, like guys. I mean, back in the day for the Sharks, Cabos van der Vestes, and I know he was capped by the Springboks, but I'm sure he would have could have got more more caps. Um those those kind of guys, you know, those those guys that that like are there whether whether it's a test week or not <laughs> they're there they're playing for the club and just dominating yeah i think especially in that like late 2000s early 2010s i think Sharks had quite a few i mean yes they got a few springbok caps but you can say um jock Burtis's, um loose four teammates king and daniel and ryan kankowski were probably also good examples of this keegan's a great um, shot yeah and well, Rory Cockett, before he moved to France, was probably heading towards being that sort of um, player as well. So, yeah, I think there was quite a few in that Sharks, um, in that Sharks team in, in, in that period. Yeah, sure. Interesting, eh? But, yeah, and there was quite a few um, good options mentioned in, in, on the tweets as well. As you said, um, Andre Gheel also mentioned um, Etienne Borta for the Bulls, who was, yeah, obviously he tragically passed away probably just as he was about to break into the Springbok team. But, yeah, he was um, someone that was obviously mesmerizing for the Bulls and was just about to get into, into, the, into the national setup. And then we have uh, Mitch Evans. He mentioned um, Richard Buckman and Rob Thompson, the center pairing for the Highlanders um, in the late 2010s Barracuda. and early 2020s. The Barracuda. Yeah, he, <laughs> those are two very, very tough. I feel like the Highlanders have a, quite a few of these ones as well because yes. Tamati Ellison would also be one that I would push. Yes. Um, he, uh, um, I'm trying to think now for the life of me. Uh, Albie Mathewson is another. He he mm. was he was cooking in Super Rugby for multiple teams, and also I think he was capped by the All Blacks. I mean, he might have one or two, but he didn't. But I mean, I mean, listen, we've got to we've got to take it. You can't you can't be like, yeah, he wasn't capped because blah 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 was there. Like whatever, you've just got it. Like these guys that that cook that in a, in a alternate universe would have been would have been capped 
and been part of the international mm. setup. But yeah, Albie Matthewson, um, trying to think now. I'm trying to think of some Aussies. He's got to be a flanker, <laughs> especially considering the especially considering the loose forwards they've been pumping out the last uh, 10, 15 years. Yeah. I mean, Phil Wall, Liam Gill, those two probably have like close oh, to 100 sh- test caps if they're born Sean McMahon. Sean McMahon. Yeah. There's someone who, he was capped, but then just, yeah, he just, just like he, he's like a nailed on starter for the Wallabies for a while. Um, what about Richard? I suppose Richard Kahui was in the mix and then he, um, he moved abroad and then, so that doesn't really count, I suppose. But yeah. Cooks? Trying to think now, like I mean, I think I think the, the Australian players. It is tough because they tend to play well. They do tend to become wallabies, like in one way or another. They have too much depth there. But I was thinking of the Highlanders. Remember Patrick Osborne as well, solid. Sheesh. Just always great to watch. Leila Masaga as well, and he got capped for the Chiefs. He was also a person just always solid. But my shout was definitely um, I thought of um, of Bryn Hall because like you look mm-hmm. at like. The, the dominance of traders in the last couple of years. Like he's he's always been the starter. I mean, Mitch Drummond's got a things got one or two all, all blacks caps, but sort of Bryn Hall was the guy that sort of always was the starter and rock solid. And I mean, obviously like when you think of the Crusaders, you always think like Justin Marshall and then Andy Ellis. But I mean Bryn Horn's got his four or five super rugby titles and just so solid. And um I thought in the African sense, I know the Lions didn't win the Super Rugby, but like someone like Warwick Tacklenburg never got this sort of, he would never be like a springbok, but like he was an absolute rock solid pillar for that Lions side and just like the sort of person that every championship side or championship quality side has when, you, when you're looking to sort of win these competitions. On, on social, I saw it, but someone also picked Marnitz Borsov. Now there's a great shot because he dominated. He was by far the best performing 10 in South Africa for probably two seasons. And he what got one cap? Are we not going to throw in um or throw in little William Duval? I mean, William Duval walked so Manus Pusov could crawl, so, so, so could run. <laughs> I was literally about to say Manus Pusov is just like, like you know the the Apple version of William Duval, who was like the BlackBerry <laughs> version of <Black> Android, <laughs> Nokia, just a, a sort of a later upgrade, basically. You know, such a great shot, Louis Ludic. That's my shot as well. Mm. He was. I saw him at the airport actually this week. Probably, I assume was, he was, was here he, for the for the for the final. For the final. Oh, he was rock star for the shots. I mean, those years he was playing thirteen, then he was playing fullback, and then he was playing. He was. Wing. A, I think he was all over he was the back line. He probably played in different positions. Yeah. And and he was and he, when he went to Ulster, he was also played quite a few places in the back line, as well. Yeah, he, there's a great one. Yeah, Louis Ludic, he was also like at one stage, he, he played well, he was solid, like very good. And then he had one season where he was head and shoulders the best and still didn't get a look in. Like I understand it if a guy has one good season, you're like, mm, will he last? What's happening? But he has a guy who's like solidly performed and then he's after all of that head and shoulders above someone for a whole season. And then you're still like, nah, don't think you got it. Problem is the, the six-two split came after he retired. That's the problem. You'd have been, you'd have been the perfect <laughs> person to have as, as number twenty-three because he was playing wing, centre, fullback. But I mean, 
I was thinking about the Bulls now. Like, remember you and Roots as well. Solid. I mean, everyone was the whole background was pretty much Springbok except for him, but he was a solid, solid, solid fullback for for the Bulls for 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 many years. Listen, I've just thought of a superb, superb first phase question. Like, who are the best players to fill that twenty three jumper and the six two splits over the history of that we can remember? <laughs> that is brilliant. Love it. I love that. It's not going to be that scrum off that re- that um, moved to pond to fly off in the in the Champions <laughs> Cup final, right? Flip it, bro. You can't abuse this guy. Listen, you asked that question, Tala. You asked that question, like, how on earth are you going to defend two Duponts on the field when the French came out with that uh, that wax? They've just launched a wax museum yeah. or whatever. It's simple, man. Put the one Dupont at nine, and the other Dupont, you have him in that like Marcus Smith roving role. You'll never see him in the game, so you only have to worry about one. It's, we've seen it. We've seen <laughs> it done. It's all sorted, bro. Not if not if Dupont A is passing to Dupont B. I think that's that makes it a bit different. Imagine, Imagine having them. With all due respect to, to Philip um, Grau, uh, yeah, he's not going to be Antoine Dupont. No. <laughs> just a yeah, just a few of the other suggestions here. Um, Spele Lukumalo mentioned Ash Dixon for the Highlanders. I think there's Great actually quite shot. a few of those hookers um, in the last few years um, that did, that couldn't get in with Mia Lamu, then Coles, and then Cody Taylor coming. In. Okay, Elliot is um, one of them. James Parson would probably be in that group. Hika Elliott, like you said, yeah, they, they, it's quite a Massive fan there. of Hika Elliott. So James Parsons and, and Bruno Hall, that's, that's the two people that do the, the Aotearoa Rugby podcast as well that we just mentioned. Um, <laughs> then um, they may have, um, actually, I don't know who this is, Rugby Kino. He mentioned um, a few for the Irish provinces. So he said Jean Klein for Munster. We'll probably talk about him a bit later. Dennis Buckley for Connacht. And then I think a, a favorite of this show, um, John Cooney for Ulster. Oh, Cooney. That like, like, I don't know how he's not getting selected uh, uh, at the moment with the way, with the form he's playing. I don't know if he's basically told him to get knotted, but he's also <laughs> the chance to play for Scotland. So. He has two yeah. shots. Yeah, I think I, I, I did mention, I think there's actually two potential candidates for the Stormers um, for this, um, you, especially because they're still relatively young, so we can't really close the door on them now. But I could see this in five years that we're going to say Ron Nal and Hachiva Daimani could be um, candidates for this now. What do you think about that, Sean? Oh, Ruan Null, both of them, definitely. But Ruan Null, I'm just, and I know I've spoken about it a lot, but I'm just bummed that he was injured um, for November last year when we took the SAA side to Europe. That, for me, was where he was going to be involved more, and uh, that would have been the next step into the mix. But I don't think he's far away from getting from getting a look-in. Um, and mm. Daimani, uh, I don't think... Either I think Saturday would have um, taught Dobbo and the Stormers and him a lot about his game and his style, which is an opportunity for him to grow, um, but also an opportunity for him to, um, you know, like to really find his his happy place, which he's found. But I don't think, like a lot of people were writing off Diamani and obviously Lubbock as well, but I don't think it's the last. Like they're not going to disappear now; they're going to come back absolutely pumping it next season. 
Yeah, I think this is a good segue into talking about the URC final. Uh, Munster winning a final, winning the final in Cape Town, 19 points to 14, scoring a try in the last, well, five minutes of the game to, to take the lead. Um, tried by man of the match, John Hodnett, who had a, a cracking game. Um, yeah, it, look, I, I know Cooks was there as well, but and I'll start with you, Cooks. Before we start on like all the minute, the, the the details of this game, this was just such a, an epic final. I think it was really worth like being the 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 final event of this competition. It was oh man, it was such an epic epic occasion. It's like it's it's one of the one of the most one of the most like fun rugby experiences I've had in terms of like the build up. I mean, getting to Cape Town on Friday. We had the monster. We're staying in the same hotel as the monster players. It's just seeing the vibe of Cape Town and, the, and all the monster fans that had come in. It just made it such a special occasion, and, and and especially how much they love being in South Africa. I tweeted earlier that I think the weekend, the win as a whole, is the URC competition as a whole. I think for us in South Africa to sort of experience sort of the the best of what the, the Northern Hemisphere brings in terms of like especially an island like Munster. A traditional powerhouse in the competition. They come in, all their fans they brought in, and just how much fun it was. And and, they, and every Munster fan I spoke to, they absolutely loved being in Cape Town and loved the opportunity to come and travel, have the final down here, and be and have the South African team, South African teams in. And I think, and also the, the final was a good game of rugby as well. I think so if, as a whole, like for the future of the URC, I think as South Africans, I mean, we still a lot of us still are clinging on to Super Rugby, and we, we, we because I mean that, that's what we grew up on. And now I think. Having the final is getting to experience what the competition really is about. I do think that um, the competition as a whole will grow, but I mean, it was a, it was a fantastic occasion. I think um, I don't think there's any Guinness left in Cape Town. Um, I do. I know the Munster players probably flew with um, the the hangover this morning, and I echoed that because I definitely flew the hangover on Sunday because Stormers may have lost, but it was still a very very good celebration. But um, yeah, Flip was an epic weekend. I mean, I think a sold out. DHL Stadium, it was packed. I mean, it was, I, I remember like walking around the stadium at about, I'd say past two, I had to go do something for sports schools and there's the lines of people just coming in and that was like, a, that was like past two. And then you walk around the stadium before the game started. I mean, the beer garden, there's a line for people to enter the beer garden. Never mind just to like get a beer, just to go get, just to get, just to enter the beer garden. And it was proper festive there, but I was just worried. I saw people queuing there at like quarter, at, at 10 past six. I'm like, I don't think they knew the game started in, in 15 minutes. I was like, and like I don't like unless they're playing watching on the screens, but the, the vibe was there. It was, it was amazing. I think it was a great, fantastic occasion. Yeah, I think, and I'm sure we'll get into it a bit more about just the how this occasion went. And I think, yeah, it might be even a positive for this um competition going forward as well. Sean? I'm hundred percent agree. It is like if you, as a neutral or not, or maybe not as a Stormers fan, like you can't really disagree with what Cooks has said. I think the only people that will be upset with the result are the Stormers fans. Everything else, as a neutral, as a for the competition, for for everything to like showcase Cape Town, it was the best possible outcome. Like the story behind both sides making that final was huge. You know, there was great, there was great content all over the show. I mean, Munster ending away, uh, home wins for for the Stormers firstly, then Glasgow Warriors, and then Leinster, beating Leinster, who everyone was like, they're a shoe in. 
And, um, you know, that whole story, like six games away on the trot, the start that they had, diabolical. They had, I actually saw someone mention the numbers, but they had um, an, uh, the same start this season that the Stormers had last season. I think it's two wins from six, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I know, it, I know this, the start was pretty much the same. I don't know if it was two from six, but it was a terrible start. Like, I remember Munster at the beginning of the season, I was thinking, yo, there's going to be problems for, for Graham Rountree because it's just not working. And they stuck to it. Like, the whole story behind that, the whole story behind the Stormers, like inaugural tournament champions of, of a shitty start last year, then this year, like, they, they go the whole way. They do really well. They're up and down. They're not as good as they, as they finished last year, but we all knew that they were building into it. And then Manny Libok has, like, a couple of performances or three, four performances in a row that you're, like, were incredible. Man of the matches, back-to-back man of the matches, stuff like that. It was amazing. And to have it in Cape Town, it's just, for me, the best part about it was actually having it in Cape Town and having Munster win it or an, an, a, a, a European side win it. Because last year, like having two South African sides in it, it no one, I don't even think many people in Europe would have watched it, um, URC fans. Now, like everyone like has something more to watch as another story. Like you're supporting the underdog, which would definitely have been Munster. And then they come and they win it. Like, it's incredible. It's the best thing that could happen to this tournament now by, by, by a long way. It's the worst thing that could happen to the Stormers. And I'm like, don't get me wrong, I'm bummed. But it's the best thing that could happen to this tournament. And next season is going to be off the charts. Stormers are going to want to prove a point. The Sharks need to make a comeback. Leinster are pissed at how the last two seasons have gone. Munster defending their title. Ulster finished hard. Glasgow are like, hang on a second. You know, we've got unfinished business. Like, we're properly in for a tournament in 23-24. Yeah, and I think if you got, um, I hope I say his name right, um, Martin Nayani or Anai, I'm not sure how you say his surname, but if you asked him what would be the perfect start for the URC, it would be... I think pretty much these two seasons have a season where both like have a all South African final to get the South African fans bought into this competition and feel like, well, number one, we can actually win this. And this is something that's that, that yeah, can benefit our teams and then we can be competitive and then have a epic um, cross continental final um, Add to it, you know, a, a strong traveling um, fan base. Have it in Cape Town. I mean, to be honest, if it was in like Pretoria or, or, or Joburg at this stage, it might not have been as attractive to the fans. And then, yeah, have the away team win as well to show that those away wins as possible. And don't have Leinster win any of the competitions in the first two rounds so that it isn't just a Leinster, um, a Leinster invitational. So I think this has just gone absolutely to plan for, for the for the organizers as well. Um, Cooks, let's talk about sort of the, the nitty-gritty of the game now. So it's it was always going to be a clash of styles between the Stormers and Munster. You know, Munster have been a big possession-based team. They've had, you know, they've been sort of high up with possession and carries and offloads and, and keeping the ball in hand in order to put pressure on the team and, the, and their opposition. While the Stormers are a team that, that relies on their defense to absorb you know, the the attacks. And then once they get the turnover ball, they counterattack. And obviously the Munster won and, and they the, the possession game overcame the counterattack game. 
why, why did Munster win that that particular battle? I think yeah, Leinster. I mean, Leinster. Munster showed in that first half. I think an exhibition on how to to just keep the ball. I think the way the, the way that they, the way they were they were so patient with the ball and willing to sort of wear down the Stormers. I mean, look at the first half. Seventy four percent, seventy four percent possession, eighty one percent territory. They just sort of took the Stormers out the game by just keeping the ball away from them. And they, they kicked very well. And not many deep kicks, sort of every kick was contestable, wanted to always make sure they kept ball in hand. I think the Stormers, excuse me, besides, besides that Marnie Lebok try, the breakaway, they went about fit, almost, it felt like they could not get their hands on the ball. I mean, I remember saying to a colleague, I'm like, I feel like I'm, we're just watching Munster play rugby. And it did help, obviously, with that pitch that was falling apart that, Sort of, it did lean towards a more slow-paced, possession-based game, and I thought Munster were very, very good at executing that. I thought their rucking was and their cleaning was incredible. Um, just the, if you look at the Stormers, you've like the likes of Dion Free, who's, who made so many turnovers in the game. He could not, he could not get in the game, and there was only a few opportunities where he looked like he could get his hands on it, and, and the cleaning was absolutely, was absolutely, was absolutely spot on. I mean, every time they carried, there was. There was two guys ready to clean. They always had, they always had um, backline players coming around, coming around the loop behind. They always had an option behind. I thought Jack Crowley controlled the game very, very well. Him and Conor Murray. And um, and my figure Toa as well just carried like an absolute machine. And you go into, you go into halftime and at 14, it was 12-7, it felt like, it felt like a bigger lead because the way Munster were playing, I thought Stormers did very well to keep for the stay 12-7. And I thought Munster were probably thinking, flip, they could have actually gone in there with possibly three or four tries. And then that, that would have sort of killed the game. But uh, I think for me, also a very big momentum swinger was once the Stormers scored, Munster scored the next try and about three minutes later. So they didn't waste their time. Then sort of, I think with the Stormers, that's, that's the way they, they tend to wear you down. They're very good in scoring back a lot of points in a very short time where sort of, they score, you make a mistake, and then you, the time you blink, you're 14-0, 17, or 21-0 down but in, in a space of six, seven minutes. And Munster got back in the game immediately, got back, got the kickoff back, and sort of just kept at it and kept plugging away. The Stormers did get back in the game, but I, I think for me as a whole, I think it was more good Munster than bad Storm. I thought Munster was absolutely sensational, especially in that first half. And it's not easy to keep that uh, full assault out crowd quiet, and, and, I, and I thought they did that well in that first half, so don't not letting the crowd get into the game, but yeah, flip that monster pack. I, I, there's probably not a, in the 23, I think they all probably minimum got seven out of tens. I mean, that's how good they were and flip, they controlled that game so well. My thing was, was the monster one, two punch. And one was the accuracy of Conor Murray's kicks and how they chased and secured that ball. And the two was the carries, but specifically from Fekatoa. Malka Fekatoa was on another planet. Um, like I'm always apprehensive, like when you talk about carries, the, like for me, I always want to look at the forward carries because the back carries, when the backs are carrying, like specifically from 15, that's not a carry in my world. But I mean, Fekatoa made the, the second most carries out of the Munster side. And those, those are forward carries. Those are heavy, heavy carries. And as you mentioned, their, um, the way that they handled the rucks. So they were just absolutely dominating everything. Like, but 
for me, Murray kick the Murray kicks and those and those Fekito carries. If you take those two things alone out the game, um, Storm is probably won. Yeah, and I I think that hits probably on the two main things where Munster really got um, over the Stormers in that game was the kicking game was precise. I mean, I think <laughs> Cooks. I don't know if it was on the group on Twitter, you were saying like, did we get back into 2017? Like when did Carter Murray just become so accurate with his um, box kicking again? And yeah, they really gave, um, you know, the Stormers back three, especially with um, Willems and Lubbock who usually being back uh, in the backfield there. They gave them some sleepless, um, or sleepless nights there. And then the rucking was just brilliant as well. And that came from obviously good carrying, which meant that they went over the advantage line. and. By the time uh, Furry or Kitsoff were trying to get their hands on the ball, like they were being blown away. I mean, there was at least two times, and I think it was both from Jean Klein, where Kitsoff gets over the ball. He's probably about a second away from winning a penalty. Like, you know, that sort of second where it tips over to becoming advantage for the opposition for um, keeping hold of the ball in the ruck. And Jean Klein absolutely just blows him away with the, with the clean. One of the cleans was a little bit on the maybe on the illegal side because I think he came a little bit on the side, but I think it just showed um, what how Munster were determined to make sure that they got really good ball and clean ball. And once they got into the twenty twos, they were really fast. I, I thought there was a bit too much, in my opinion, in the first half. A lot of um, side to side rugby from Munster and playing in that um, the middle of the park where you can't really get through the stormers. But it obviously. Uh, bore fruit for them late in the game because they the, the the gaps opened up and the Stormers, the tackles that they had to make were accumulating. So I was thinking in the first half, no, Munster, you should actually just try to kick into the corners, trust your rolling mall, and then build phases from that because in the 22, they were able, to, and obviously the Stormers aren't going to be as keen to try and go for the big steals and everything. But in the 22, Munster was able to generate quick ball and to build their phases and to and to get into gaps. I thought, it, for example, especially with that intercept try um, that came from the Antoine Frisch um, offload, I was like, that came from as a result of this, of Munster going almost side to side with the attack and going nowhere, and then trying to throw a big sort of out the back pass, and then obviously that got gobbled up by Mani Leboc. So it worked out really well for Munster, I think, in the second half, um, in in them sort of tying the Stormers, but. Even that, even saying that, I thought the I thought Munster was the one that was tiring during and in, in, as the game went longer and longer. Because I think in the second half, obviously the Storms came back and, and had a lot more possession and were controlling the game, but they also weren't able to to dominate or get you know the points for that. So in the first half, and maybe we can focus on the first half now. Like the Munster probably <laughs> left about two or three tries on the table. Um, some. Obviously, some tries were correctly disallowed. There's obviously a bit of a debate about the double movement try. There's, I'm sure, a few accusations about, you know, super sport and, and putting up the, the replays and all that sort of stuff. And the second half, the Stormers had enough time in the Munster 22 where they also could have scored a few tries as well. Cooks? I think, like, especially you mentioned that first half, I think, Taylor, I think you look at that, I mean, the intercept that Frisch gave away, I... I what I found very, very interesting was the fact that Munster thought maybe they, they sort of doubled down on the possession. They, they sort of doubled down on, we're still, still going to play this way. We back ourselves to sort of get back in this game. And then I, I first thought, like ooh, like like you said, like ooh, maybe they're trying to handle, they, they're trying a bit too much too early. But 
I find it very interesting. They sort of doubled down. They sort of knew, like, this is the way we're going to play. We're going to keep the ball in. You know, Jared always talks about the slow poise in the box play with the kicking game, sort of forcing you back down. Whereas I think more where Munster, the Munster slow poison is sort of just, we're going to keep the ball away from you. you we're just going to force you into making tackles. You're going to keep tackling and keep tackling and keep tackling. And and for them, especially like in the middle of the field where they, they're just waiting for sort of half gaps to open and, and they're not worried about hitting you or hurting you in the first five phases. They go, we're going to go 10, 11 phases, and, but a gap's going to open up. And they just kept, and, and, and they just kept being so patient. It was interesting how sometimes they would find space out wide, but how narrow they would be their attack would be at times. It's just very narrow. And then when the when the when the time was right, probably like deep eight nine phases, you sort of they, they sort of they pass sort of started to get a bit wider, and just sort of working the defense, sort of stretching them in and then bringing them back, stretching them out and then bringing them bringing them back in. And I thought that paid evident in that last try where the Stormers possibly got a little tired. Like you look at the try at the end there, like just the, the catch up defense was probably not where the Stormers would be. Like how easy the inside ball was for Ordner to score there, and I think. Yeah, I think Manchester are very good in applying that that slow poison, especially that first half, just to make sure and not to give the Stormers any sniff and, 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 and any chance. I mean, because the Stormers, the turnover game is probably one of their biggest assets and they never gave the Stormers many opportunities in that first half to, to apply their turnover game. And and I think that's, for me, what's, what's very, 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 very good to watch. I mean, the Stormers got a great rush defense, and but, but Manchester just did not panic. Even after they made a mistake, they just stuck at it and they stuck at it. And it does help to have an experienced companion like Conor Murray, who I thought was exceptional in the first half. The kick she was putting up and I'm sure the Stormers will be a little bit bleak in the, in the way they protected the, the I mean, the, 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 the catches. I think they could have done a little bit better, but I just thought, yeah, Mario controlled the game. Jack Crowley knew when to attack, when to, when to call for the balls. So I, I, I never thought I would see like a Stormers having, what I mean, 26% possession in the first half. And, and almost feeding off scraps, and, that, and that's exactly what one, what, what Munster did very very well in that especially in the first off. Yeah, and then just going into the maybe going into just before actually we we look at what maybe the Stormers did wrong or maybe just failed to execute as much as as Munster did. Let's talk about some of the individual performances from Munster. I mean, we've mentioned Malakai Fekitoa who had a great game. I thought he was my man of the match. John Hodnett obviously was um, the actual man of the match and he had a great <laughs> game and a great post-match interview as well that caused the face palm for Peter Omani. Um, Sean, who were the other standouts for Munster in this game? Well, I mean, it'd be wrong to not start with uh, with Jean Klein. Um, he's, his stocks in, in Ireland have, have risen over the last few months. He's, well, this season probably been the most consistent and best performing um lock there's been injuries to a few others and 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 stuff like that but but he was incredible like he his counter racking um his work on the restarts um there's a couple of videos going around about about how he gets around but but also his combination that lock pairing was was huge like absolutely huge for monster so it's that that, that would probably be would be my would be my shot. Would be um, Klein and and Burn like really, really impressive. And while we unlocks Achilles Neyman, massive, massive. They oh, so good. You see that one handed line attack? <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Who we who else have we seen do that? Another South African's done that, or was it Achilles as well? 
uh, the one person that comes to mind is um, Theo McFarland. Like he likes yes, to do that as it. well. That's it. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Imagine jumping. It's not like it's a, a controlled environment. Like it's a lineout. Someone's the two people throwing you up in the air and there's other people contesting. Plus someone's throwing a ball to you. Hope he gets it in the right place. He doesn't obviously because, and then you just like whip out one hand and just take a, like <laughs> I, I can barely hold a rugby ball with two hands <laughs> being a backline player and all but it, hands like feet. But yes, that's ridiculous. And just his ability to he, he, I think he was the best forward in delivering those inside passes back into, um, Ford runners um, that Munster were, were getting a few meters off. It seemed like Munster saw something in the Storm's defense that maybe they maybe start drifting too early and they really were using that inside ball to get a few meters there. And in the in the Hodner try at the end, I think it was a ball from Snayman to Tug Bird that I think broke the Storm's defense open and then two phases later, they scored in the corner. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's one other person that I think deserves a massive shot on Saturday. I thought he was incredible, especially considering the conditions, but also someone who's had a flipping brilliant season. That's Calvin Nash. He's, um, he was flipping good in a game that wasn't really designed for, for the back three, um, with the weather and everything he's, he was cooking. I thought he had a really, really good game. Um, yeah, Munster pulled together well as a team. So yeah, flip. He he deserves a, a different a definite shot. Anyone you want to add from your side, Cooks? Yeah, I was, gonna, I was actually going to add the whole back three. I thought um, Daly mm. was good as well. Mike Haley, I was very very impressed with him. Just um, just covered everything. Well, besides when he the, the, the trip on <laughs> that very well, it was a trip or a tackle when we, <laughs> we took out Angelo Davis. Oh, how was he doing? That was like but an hour any... late. Was that? Do you guys agree with that yellow card? I thought it was a yellow. Yeah, I mean, from what I saw as well, it just seemed like there was no way he was diving for the ball. Like, the ball was passed him by the time he almost started diving. It it looked like, at least, I mean, I haven't watched a a replay on TV, but yeah, it just looked quite stupid what he was doing. Actually, even the Crowley um, yellow card as well. I was just like, Munster pretty much gave away momentum with two of the dumbest (laughs) yellow cards that I've seen. No. That that yellow for me, I thought it probably could be a penalty only. Like he's definitely impeded David's, but I don't. I mean, he's he's going there. He's squared up, and he knows a kick's coming. So you go into almost like goalkeeper mode, yeah. And that's the way I look at it. Like you're totally going to milk things for what they are, but you can't just stand there and not go for it when a kicks. You want to make yourself as big as possible. And I reckon he thought he could go for it. And then once he saw which side the ball was going, he went in it's six of one like you can't really argue the yellow card but i you couldn't argue if he wasn't given one i, I think well i like to hope anyway but i thought that was a bit harsh but yeah sorry i, I, I thought maybe because <laughs> like, like you said it was coming off a bit of a mini break and then it did look like the storm was in yeah. contention to score there i think that's that was the, the sort of the deciding factor but I, a momentum that, but I thought, changer yeah 100 percent. i thought but i thought he was i thought he was good i think my he was just rock solid. I mean, I think, listen, the, the Stormers' back three has been one of the standouts in the tournament. So for them to sort of keep Angelo Davis quiet, Damien Williams quiet, Leonard Zaz quiet, I think that takes an exceptional, exceptional effort. But um, I thought Coombs was good as well. I really I carried just absolute menace as well. I mean, obviously, he was sort of a silent warrior there in the trenches, but I thought he was good. But 
Yeah, but I must, I must add, I think Tyburn is a, a fantastic rugby player. Like first time ever seeing him live, just knowing when to carry, knowing when to ease off loads. I mean, the, the number of half gaps that he was hitting or putting guys through in half gaps and sort of the, the amount of work he was getting through. And it's crazy to think that he missed 10 weeks of rugby, came back for the, the playoffs and as if it hasn't, hasn't missed a beat. Yeah, I, I, I thought he was... I, th- I thought he was fantastic, uh, Tyburn as well. But I mean, oh geez, I couldn't forget Peter Omani. That thirty minutes, that thirty minutes being the first half, he was a man possessed. Some of, some of his cleaning that he was doing, I'm like, like you know, for concussion. I mean, I don't think his body would have lasted sixty. I mean, sixty minutes if it, if it stayed on the way the one of work he was going through. He was slight. I mean, pity that pass went four. I mean, that would have been an incredible, incredible offload. But um, yeah, I, th- I think I must shout out the the back three. I thought I thought they were fantastic, and also Chad Crowley as well. I thought. It is a mention. I think um, everyone's probably, I mean, Ireland's looking for a young 10. I think um, he, he possibly maybe he could be the future. But um, yeah, those are my shout outs. Ireland might be looking for a young 10 for the World Cup if. <coughs> cough, cough. <laughs> if, uh, somebody gets banned. Leave that alone, please, Sean. We hey, don't want to lose our Irish. I don't want to lose our Hashtag. Irish listeners this quickly. Oh, listen, we, we have we have already that the headline for our last pod definitely pissed a lot of people off. No, they love that stuff. Or at least Stormers that's the versus like the I bad can. guys. They are the bad guys. Imagine coming away. Imagine <laughs> coming to someone's party totally, and actually running it like that. No, they're totally the bad guys for us. Absolutely. <laughs> but I had such a laugh. The one reply was, sheesh. Munster are probably some of the best support is one of the best supported sides and they're definitely not as bad as Leinster. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, easy on. We were just uh, we enough. were just being partisan. But it was funny. <laughs> yeah. Good old report with the breaking news from a game in in, in Dublin. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's move on to the stormer side of things. Um, yeah, I think as as Cook said, probably not I also agree with what Cook said earlier about it not necessarily being a bad Stormers performance, just just must or just a lot better. Um, but there were a few things that they just really didn't hit on that they usually do. But I think that's more because of, um, you know, Munster just being really good at what they do. And I think the big indicators as to how good the Stormers were in a game or not is turnovers won. Stormers only had five. Um, to Munster's five with um, Dion Free having zero and Evan Rose actually having three. The second one is Stormers only beating 10 defenders and having four clean breaks to um, Munster's having 42 <laughs> defenders beaten and eight clean breaks. So that shows that the attack or counterattack wasn't really, you know, working for, for them as well. Sean, uh, yeah, I don't know if there's a particular thing that you could. Oh, is there a particular thing that you can say the Stormers did maybe wrong or approached it r- wrong, or was it just a matter of look, a better team just beat them on the day? Well, it's a combination. They're, they're definitely beaten by the better side. Um, they they looked at, um, and uh, it was quite evident in in the way the game went. I initially thought, and it's a little bit a little bit harsh, but. I thought the Stormers possibly just didn't respect Munster in the right way. Not that they didn't respect him. I just don't think they respected them in the right way in terms of that they didn't know what was coming and how to beat it because they, we knew that was coming. Munster made a thousand more carries and a thousand more passes through the season 
than what the Stormers did, all for both the same meter meterage. So they knew it was coming. Like, and Murray's been kicking well for a while. We knew that was coming. So I think it was more a case of we needed to have been a little bit more disciplined on that side of things. Because it's not that we were in the game and fell away because we just couldn't keep up with it coming over and over and over. It, we were out of it from the beginning. And I, it's weird. It's, it's something that you look at, you like, you look at it and, and as, as a disrespecting eye, you're like, oh, these guys aren't up for it. You know, when it's not the case, like we know that. But that's what it looked like. Like, so th- they were just maybe a little bit blown out the water early and, and lost some composure. I think that intercept try in the beginning was probably one of the worst things that could have happened for them because maybe they were like, uh, okay, cool. Everything we've planned, we defend really well. We'll get an intercept. Like we've got this, you know, we'll just carry on doing this. And, and they just didn't get out of that, that mindset. Um, so I see Dobbo did come out and say that he, 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 he got a few things, one or two things wrong. Um, you know, I just, uh, yeah, I think overall the, the, the answer that needs to go out to everyone is that the Stormers were beaten by a better team who were absolutely on top of, on top of everything and, and dominated because they did dominate. I know the scoreline doesn't suggest it, but they dominated. Yeah, and I, I think that dominating, um, especially in the first half, I think that that narrative is not incorrect because, I mean, there's a world where Munster, you know, bar a few ref decisions and obviously a forward pass or two could have <laughs> scored four tries in that first half. Cooks, yeah, I think just to pick up on Sean's point about maybe not, yeah, maybe failing to prepare on certain things. I mean, the Stormers should have known at least from the first Munster game that Munster is really good with their rolling mall which they showed again this week, and especially in the first half, they're getting torn apart. And then they made adjustments in the second half, and it wasn't as bad. But they should have known that Munster has a great rolling mall and Munster has a good kicking game. And it just seemed like they were both really ill-prepared or just not able to execute on both things, which pretty much killed off um, you know, the things that, that they wanted to do. Yeah, hundred percent. I think obviously, I think for the, I think the storm is the big one is of is that kick the kick receptions. I think stop protecting the kickers as well as they should have. I think that's going to be the one that that does slightly frustrate them. Um, I, I, I thought in the more I thought early on after the trial, I mean, the stormers were able to were, were able to help make sure that Munster get a few penalties, whether it was obstructions or so they sort of did find a, a little bit of parity in the, in the more and, and um, the stormers did get a try off the more as well. So. I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a hard thing to, to put together because the Stormers were in that game as much as, as much as Munster dominated. I mean, there's a, I remember looking up at the scoreboard in the second half and Stormers, I mean, Stormers were sort of leading going into the first five, last five minutes before the, before that try that they gave at the end. But before that, like, it, it kind of looked like, Tala, you mentioned that Munster did get tired. It looked like mistakes were creeping in. There was a few offloads, forced offloads, a few forced knock-ons. That Munster were doing sort of trying to get back in the game. I thought Stormers had looked like they'd done enough to sort of keep them at bay. And I think which is testament to the Stormers and um like it's the fact that Munster played very, very well on the weekend. And, and the Stormers probably one of their it wasn't by far not their best game, but they were still, I mean, they were leading a majority of that game, you know, even when I mean, Munster scored late in the, in the second in the, in the first half to, to, to go on top and then scored again late in the second half. Um to sort of sort of just, just dash it from I think the Stormers maybe they're probably thinking. 
there's a few penalties that could have gone for at goal, maybe before halftime, make it 12-10 as opposed to 12-7. Um, but again, but like, but again, like it's one of those things. I'm I'm not going to crucify the Stormers for some for for sort of trying to stick to what what has worked for them for the last two years. I mean, they, they didn't win it last year. They didn't get to the final this year, so they must have been doing something right. And they had chances. I think they had sniffs. I mean, you look at the Evan Rose break, and then he slips. I think there's, there's, there's the, the, the I think the, the Stormers fell, fell victim to the pitch several times where guys are throwing half breaks and then slip or so like Mine Labog was in slips for that for that um for doing the cross kick for, for when Nash scored it. So that also played a, bit, a big factor. And I think uh, I think the Stormers for them it's they're probably it, what they weren't on their best on their day and the Munster were the best on the day, I think. But like again, they were they were in that game. I think um I, I definitely felt before the trial then the Stormers it looked like they, they could have done enough. And I, it was a weird game. It was like, whoever scores the next points was sort of when I thought the Stormers, if they could just had gotten a penalty to make it 17-12, I'd have thought, man, I think that that would have been enough for them to sort of to sort of win it. But I think Munster did well to sort of keep them in their own half. And, and the mistakes, unfortunately, were that the, there was a one where the ball got kicked through and then Manu, unfortunately, couldn't gather the ball and then sort of put the Stormers back in the first half. And then, that kick again, which wasn't a particularly great kick for Munster, the one where Marnie sort of had the time to sort of try to get back in his 22. And, and again, before the charge down, there was, there was a bit of a slip as well. So, I mean, yeah, flip, it's, it's actually hectic. Either things go the other way. We, we talk about Storm is going to be defending champs and we praising them for winning a game when they probably weren't at their best. So I don't want to sound here as if like Storm was the game. I thought Storm was good. I mean, Evan Rose is absolutely immense, but like, yeah, like I, I generally felt that um, Stormers, I think, yeah, I think they, they will be frustrated. I think they, they, it will be the one that got away, definitely for them. Yeah, you know that first that first half at at half time. I'm like, Munster, Munster played as if they, Munster dominated as if they would have had at least a 14 point lead, and the Stormers were still in it. And you're right, like the the Stormers game plan. For two years, I mean, to to finish number one as champions and finish number two as runners up in two full seasons, like you can't really complain about stuff. So they got it wrong a little bit, but they weren't like they didn't get it hopelessly wrong. They will not work walked over. Munster dominated a lot, like they dictated a lot, but the Stormers were always in it, and um, and that's huge. Um, very interesting and. Obviously, you guys were there and watching it and stadium views are much better than TV views. There's no doubt about it. But the one thing I want to talk about is Dan Duplessis had to make 19 tackles. Like he he was more, comfortably more than double any of the other backline barring um, Herschel Yanchis who had to make 11. And it was clearly, for me, it was a plan, I, I, I believe. But having a look at it, Fekitoa had such a dominant game. I reckon that Fekitoa, the plan was for him to carry a fair bit, but I reckon he's picked up something and he's like, cool, he's going to have a weak shoulder or he's got it, like he's positioning or he's going to get tired eventually. I'm just going to steamroll him all day because they didn't pick on anyone else. Like they literally, <laughs> they didn't run at Lebok as much. And even if they moved Lebok around, they would have brought Willemse into the back line, who's also a solid defender. Like Lebok, Nell, um, Duplessis, Willemse, all very handy on, on, on 10, 12, and 13 defense. So <laughs> very, very interesting. But yeah, I just wanted to, to highlight that. Yeah, and I, I think it did actually benefit Munster because 
I think this was the uh, one of the rare games in the last two seasons that the Duplessis Null or Pretorius Null even um, center combination looked a little bit um, ropey in, in defense at some points. And there was a bit of chaos that they were creating with that. And that's probably because Duplessis was just being able to be sucked in into sort of making all those tackles, which means now is maybe the only person sort of left or maybe Duplessis is coming back from a tackle or whatever the case is. So, yeah, I want to also watch the, the, the game again. But Munster's pattern, I think, was very interesting. They were very much clear about, okay, they did obviously um, uh, runs off nine. There was obviously the inside pass that we talked about. And there was a bit of, um, and then obviously they had the 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 pods that sort of passed out of the back door to the fly half, and then you know the and then the the back line would sort of come through as well. So I think they did try to maybe target sort of getting those um, inside backs as tight as possible. And just looking at the Stormers' tackling stats, I think is a, tells a very interesting story. Dion Ferry played, I think, about just under sixty minutes. And he made the most tackles for 21. But that meant that he didn't have many chances to make turnovers. So obviously it's clear that that Munster was trying to seek him out to make him tackle as much as possible so he doesn't um, have an effect on the game with turnovers. Um, Steven Kitzhoff is not too far behind. He's probably the second biggest threat with turnovers and he got 14 tackles. And he was, what, fifth or sixth um, with tackles. As was Dan Duplessis. um, And obviously workhorses like... Ori and Van Heerden would be around there. I think the only thing that Munster didn't necessarily factor in with their game plan was Evan Rus, because he only, only in inverted commas, made 12 tackles, but he made three turnovers as well. So he wasn't someone that they were running, you know, into as much. I mean, who wants to run into Evan Rus at <laughs> the best of yeah, times? And 10 um, carries, eh? So yeah. and, and they were pretty good carries. He was the highest carrying um, uh, Springbok. He was the highest carrying uh, Stormers forward. Uh, Lubbock yeah. and Willems were no, ahead he, of him, but but he carried like an absolute beast. Yeah, I think maybe we can transition to that. I mean, I think he was the pick of the players for the Stormers on Saturday. Um, I think this was a performance that, I mean, more than the performances where he runs for 400 meters and scores eight tries, this was the performance that said to me, okay, this is a test match rugby player. Like, he was doing hard, 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 hard yards um, with his carries and taking about three or four people to take him down. He was, obviously, he had that chance with the break, but obviously slipped because they were playing on a cabbage patch. And he was an absolute issue in the racks as well. So this is something that you can say, oh, this can build into something special for him. So yeah, I I, I just want to add that, Sean. Yeah, um, I was super impressed. Um, What... It's especially like looking at it and considering that like no one else really, none of the forwards, like if you had to look at the Stormers carries, Lubbock carried 14, Willemse carried 14. Okay, you know my issue with the 10 carrying so much, but anyway. Then it was Roos on 10, then Zas on 8, then Davids on 7, then Nell on 6, and then only Kitsov on 5. So like we had... We had, we had so pressure. Our forwards just didn't carry. It was only worse. Like, if we could have linked that together with, um, you know, with other dominant carries or better carries, but, you know, he was, he was man alone in, in that department. Um, three turnovers is also brilliant. Um, he's super strong over the ball. So, 
a, a great performance. Probably, probably his best one this season, but I haven't watched all of them, so that might be unfair. But incredible performance by him. Yeah, Cooks, I think we've danced around it for a little while, so we can't anymore. We now need to go into the Money Leboc <laughs> section of the, of the pod. Yeah, I think probably, yeah, I think some of the social media reaction is obviously overblown. Like, I think that's clear, but it definitely wasn't, you know, his best in terms of executing, um, you know, the kicking game plan and wasn't probably the type of game that he, that he wanted to have. And I think he was probably more unlucky than um, bad with regards to that kick that got charged down as well, because I think he was almost stuck between deciding which of his um, feet he wanted to kick off of delayed a little bit, changed to change, changed to try and kick off the left, I think. And then he got charged down. So I think that was more of a consequence of him getting a bit unlucky, having a little bit of a slip and all that sort of stuff as well. But yeah, I think it's, it's a bit unfortunate and especially unfortunate when in the first few minutes, he obviously scores the try and he has the celebration where he's pointing at one of the Munster players. So it, (laughs) it, it did sort of lead to one of those matches where you're like, Oh, I'm feeling very bad for some for 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 this guy now. Sort of the Marina Bok thing is, I mean, that's when I, I tweeted, um, I tweeted the um, cue the Marina Bok um, thing pieces this week because, like, one thing I, I feel bad about Marnie is 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 the fact that like is, the, the the reactions to his performance are like it's either he's either praised as 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 the as, as the next gift to rugby or then he's the worst trade in the country. So it's like. It's like no middle ground, and it's and he's sort of treated um, as if like, sort of treated as if like, um, like like as if like he's we're still waiting for him to like show some consistency. Like we've seen clips. I'm like for the last two years he's been the best uh, fluff arguably in URC, and he's he's shown great form. I thought in the weekend like the the mistakes that happened also just due to just being very very unlucky. It's like like the one way unfortunately we just couldn't pick the ball up. I mean that's due to a bad service that's like that does that those things don't happen and yeah i mean it's sometimes like you can kick off both feet or sort of that's the that's the it was just what's it called just too many tools you could have and, and, and i do thought he had the time and then maybe too much time as well and then obviously the slip happened and the charge don't happen but i definitely don't feel like if you read some of the tweets like they make it sound like he's at fault for it and i think he's always he's always got an extra a bigger spotlight on him so his biggest fans are waiting for him to shine so they can prove his doubters wrong. His doubters are waiting for him to fall so they can prove his fans wrong. So he's always in a sort of feels like he's in a lose lose. So, but um, I can't make one eighty minute performance sort of gloss over how how great he's been again this season. I thought he's been better this season than he was last season because you know it is with certain players that second season second season syndrome where you're in a high neck one year and then sort of people wait for you to dip. I thought he was even better this season. I mean, in the quarter of the semi final he was exceptional and um and, and i thought yeah unfortunately those two errors i think it was tough i, I thought Herschel also didn't, didn't have didn't have his best games but Herschel's also coming off two very very strong games and it's hard when i, I think it's hard because we don't have possession and it's and he's not getting his hands on the ball as much as he's used to and and i think that that does play a factor in but i mean i just think with the, the whole money in the box thing we've got to find a way to sort of find any to find to, to, like, to find a happy medium with this guy because he, he he is he is sensational. He has he has played well. He's he's definitely earned the right to get to a World Cup or and be in the box mix, be in the conversation of is is he a second tier of Apollo because he's proven it 
for back-to-back seasons. I mean, he's been the best tennis URC for back-to-back seasons. He's the leading point scorer for a reason. And 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 he's a ma- and since he's come in, I mean, he's changed life for the Stormers. We've we've been looking for a tenth so often. And yes, John Duplessis got injured. Then Kate Volta got injured. They were trying to find his options, but now they have found an answer at ten. And since he's been there, I mean, as the starter, I mean, they've got they've got the two finals and they've won one. So I I just don't understand like what is there to doubt this guy. And I think it's like I think the doubters now. It's the the doubters are, are happy this week because Money had a bad game, but. Fuck, I just think we've got to find a happy medium with this guy because I think he's sensational and I'm not going to let Saturday cloud my judgment of, of how good he is and, and, and how he's one of the first guys, if he's playing, you want to watch him play rugby because he's phenomenal and, and still must cook when he's playing well. Yeah. So it's, you know, the, the thing is, is as long as, I mean, Manny's been around for a while but he's still inexperienced on the international stage and at at URC level or super rugby level. Like he's not massively experienced there. We have to, and everyone has to know and understand that he's going to have bad games. Even the best players have bad games. And it's going to happen in, in test rugby too. He is going to have a bad game in test rugby. It's impossible not to. We've seen it with the greatest players in the world. Well, there are some that don't have bad games. It's quite sickening. but. Like, it's going to happen, and I'm 100% with you. The thing is, like, if you want to put things in perspective, Manny Lebach has kicked Damien Willemser out of the Storm's 10 jersey and put him in the 15. Now, you can argue what you want about the Springboks and how maybe he Willemser should play 15, but he was playing 10 at the Stormers, and he wanted to play 10, and he had an option at 12. But Lebach has put all the guys aside and said, cool, this is my jersey, and I'm going to take it. And the most important thing, and like, and it needs to be reinforced, is that it's two full seasons where he has been the best performing ten in South Africa, a South African ten, not just in South Africa, by miles, by miles. Like, so does like one game? Everyone has a bad game, and it was a final, and all eyes were on him, and hundred percent. It could it be the World Cup final? It could be yes, but he could also have a performance like he did in the quarterfinals and the semifinals and like what uh, 10 other games I can mention where he got like man of the match. He could have one of those performances in a world cup final too. So like, it's a little bit of perspective and you're right. Like he, this, he's polarizing in that it's almost like it's a 50, 50 split. Like there were guys jumping on social media. Like when something was highlighted about shit, I don't know. It was, I don't know. It might've been like a mall and they were like, yeah, and Manny Lebox the answer at 10. I was like, yes, buddy. <laughs> Read the room, my man. It's got nothing to do with your agenda. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like he just wants to start a riot. But that's just the way it is. Like you've, it happens with everyone where you like, you guys are going to spend the whole time like defending a player when you actually in truth don't need to defend him because Lebox hasn't need, needed any defense ever uh, in the last two seasons because he's been so good. But everyone's just waiting for that one time for him to slip up and he goes and does it in a final. But what I am going to say is this is a really, really, really great step for the Stormers. It's a great moment for Yang Cheese. It's a great moment for Lebok. It's a great moment for Willemse. It's a great moment for a lot of our Springboks um, losing that game because they, they will pull and they will take a hell of a lot out of it. It sucks. It sucks losing a final. But 
it's come at a better time for for a South African fan than 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 later on in the year. The thing is, uh, I find funny like Qatar is like it's like like a money. You get players who are who are very polarizing, and it it it, it, it always happens to be tens. You know, like like Marcus Smith, like Fun Russell, and like Marina Bocas, Alton Yankees, and and players like that. They do have they have they have a lot more say doubters because they they're like oh, they they're bound to make mistakes. They're always trying things. Like if if, if you're not like a beer hater, like you all you're gonna be right from time to time. Like it's gonna happen. Like it's, there's gonna be games where those things don't come off. There's gonna be games where you try something it doesn't work. He's probably done that like where he's tries to kick on the left foot or it's not on. Switch back to the right, finds touch. If he finds touch, then we praise him. Like oh my word, this guy kicks with both feet. What an asset. Do you know what I mean? Like. That's a, that's a fine line that these all sort of walk on where it's like we love and I think it's especially like in South Africa we tend to fall a trap where we love players that try things until they make mistakes and you're like why would he try that? And you're like but a week ago when he tried it it worked. Like that's how he plays and you sort of those guys get crucified for it and I think with Dobbo and the Storm is the, the, that's what that's what they want him to do that like, knowing Dobbo he probably he's not going to tell him to he's not going to sit and, and shit him out and say what are you doing? You'd be like, hey, it didn't work out this time. We go again next. We go again the next time. So, which is, which is a refreshing way of of of, of, of handling a player like that. I think Dobbo is the perfect coach for him. I think. I mean, I must say, with the Stormers, you are right. I mean, it was it was a tough pull to swallow for them. But you look at, you look at the guys and and and, and seeing the moves sort of after the game. And when I went and, when I went and sort of saw some of the guys on the field and that, there's a big sense of flip. It's 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 it hurts. But they're like, fuck, we go again next year. Sort of, sort of made them hungrier. Like, like, yes, we go again next year. Like, we, we want to, we want to, we want to fix this. We want to, we want the final to come to be back in Cape Town next year again. And, and, and you look at their squad. Is, I mean, obviously they're losing kids off, which is massive. But they do have a good enough squad to to to, to go back next year to a final or do well again and sort of get themselves and make another deep playoff run. So, they, I definitely don't think they're going away in terms. And I think this will definitely. It does. I mean, you can see them. It, it, they were hurting. I mean, they were they were properly properly hurting, and um, and they were amped for that game. I mean, like you could see like how much it meant for them. And um, one of the guys was telling me that um, so when Nietling when Nietling for shares about oh, and he was an incredible human being. And if you don't follow him on Twitter, you better follow Nietling for share. He's a legend. One of the guys said to me when the coaches told Nietling that he's coming on, the first thing he said, he got up and he screamed, "Fuck yes!" And he's like, "So <laughs> empty." Like that's how much this thing means for them. Like they were propping <laughs> up for the game, and um, yes, it was. So it's like they're definitely going to go again. I think the the culture around that group, and you, I've been lucky enough to like know the guys and spend a, few, a little bit of time around them. The culture in the group is is incredible, and they know that um, they they're, they're going to compete again. It hurts, hundred percent. It does hurt, but um, I still think they had a phenomenal season. I think come next year they will will definitely still be back, and and they'll definitely be they'll definitely be firing again. Yeah, I think just another thing to emphasize in this is, yeah, I think almost like what Sean said, maybe in some ways, maybe them getting a, a good start um, probably didn't really help the Stormers. It maybe hindered them because, yeah, no, not that they, re- I don't think they were complacent necessarily, but it maybe just put them on, on a bit more of a sort of cruise in the game instead of trying to really um, like play with, try to play in the front foot in the game um, all the time. So I think it did maybe put them in, in a different mindset of, okay, let's sort of like protect the lead instead of um, really going out there and trying to get the game back. Because the Stormers, I think, play their best rugby and play their best rugby when 
they're under a bit of pressure. They're falling a bit behind. They need to score some quick, um, quick points. And then that's what they need to do. And then the second thing was, I just loved the reaction of the Stormers um, after the game. So a lot or a few of the players I saw were still interacting with fans. I mean, there's about a million Hachiva Daimani videos of him interacting with fans um, after the game. Um, Manila Bok, who probably felt horrible um, during the course of the game or after the after the game, he was interacting with fans and giving away his boots. Like the fa- the Stormers did their part, and you could still see that you know these kids, um, you, you, the kids that were handing out um, medals to the Munster players, <laughs> they all made a beeline to the Stormers after they finished their duties and were trying to get photos and handshakes and all that sort of stuff with the with the Stormers players and the 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 fans that stayed um for this for the presentation a lot of them still interact or the Stormers players still interact with those um, fans so it really bodes well for a good culture that I think will help them um in the future as well and I mean same that can be said to about Munster as well they really spent a lot of time especially with their away fans as well yeah you know Dobbo mentioned it. He's like, we want to create something for the people. So the Stormers are, are, and Western Province are still um, in, still being run by SA Rugby, if I'm not mistaken. Like after all that financial issues and shit that happened, like that's still ongoing. And they've gone and built this and have players playing for themselves and playing for the fans um, and putting out these performances, winning, winning titles, making it to the final. Um, bear in mind that this has all come off a move away from Newlands, which was everyone, like I, I've met very few people that, that thought it was a good idea, but they've basically gone and made Cape Town Stadium their home, which is massive. That's all they needed. The whole thing would have been a flop had they been playing badly and if the administration had gone gone to shit and, and all that sort of stuff. So like they've made Cape Town Stadium their home. Like they're writing a whole new book. Forget a new chapter in Western Province Rugby. They're writing a whole new book. Like this is literally, there's a line drawn in the sand. Look at all the changes that have, that have happened. Like this loss is, is, is crap. It's cuck. But look at everything that has come out in the last uh, 24 months. Just the last 24 months alone. The stories, the people, the... I mean, remember Rito was, was talking about how um, at the end of last season when we were doing our podcast, I listened to a pod he was doing with Carl and Rito was, went in to go and get his, uh, his laptop because he was going overseas and it was off season and Manny Lubbock was, was, was in the gym. And he's like, like, what are you doing here? He's like, well, we won. I want to win again next year. Like it's, uh, that's the kind of stuff that, that is being built there the stuff that a lot of people don't see. So it's flipping awesome. Yeah, let's get into a few of the less serious parts of the, of the game. Um, Cooks, yeah, there's, there's a bit of um, controversy about uh, laughing and pointing at and all that sort of stuff that the Storms and the Munster um, players would, or at least the Storms players were doing to the Munster players. But, I think this is a clear, um, uh, a clear sort of example of you know the winner gets to tell the story because now it looks like the Stormers were these like horrible losers and they were 
egging on Peter Marnie and doing all these things. But yeah, this is what basically happens <laughs> when you lose the game, then everyone finds the the video evidence of you acting, you know, badly and and and, and creates all, their whole agenda about that. Yeah, flip is like the pointing and all that, I mean, like it's it's always gonna if you if you're on the wrong side of it, it always comes back to bite you and you come across as arrogant or you come across as I mean like like with Yankee screaming in Omani's face. I mean, the roles are reversed. It sort of happens. It can happen any other way. I mean, it's not the first time we've seen that happen. But again, remember, but remember, rugby is a game of values. It's a game of a, the purest because rugby culture, you've got to respect the position. You know, as my, in my David Attenborough voice, as the purest on Twitter, <laughs> like to call it, like, you can't be doing stuff like that. It just you made me, me pay, crazy. pay attention. Like, you made me pay attention when, <laughs> when you changed. I was like, oh, what's, this is important. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> but like, like the, like the Joseph Durbin thing, it's like, this is my, my my worst thing about like, it's, we as fans want players and teams to sort of express themselves and show how they are. And like, yeah, I mean, the guys have, I mean, Joseph Durbin is a guy who expresses himself all the time and he, he doesn't hide his emotions, which is, for me, which is fantastic. And yes, those things come back to bite you, but, but like, it, but it doesn't, but you also get to see that side of him or the side of the Stormers where, Fuck, they're playing a final at home. I'd also be happy. And, um, but like now it's like they, they, they'll take that video and go like, oh, the Stormers now look as if like they were, they, were, they are sort of underestimated months. And then, or we can just go back to nothing being posted where teams don't send anything. Teams don't, we don't see any behind the scenes things because they might be, they might be seen as, as, they might be seen as arrogant. They might be seen as um, like, oh, they don't take the game seriously. Like imagine the box didn't win the World Cup final. Like when Russ is telling guys we're going to fuck them up physically. Then people go like, oh, the box are so arrogant because they just feel like they can just dominate any team up front. If, if you lose, but if you win, it's a great story. Like, that, this, it's like, it can't be black or white. Like, that's my thing. It's like, there's such a great area where we want players to, to express themselves and teams to, to, to show, like, at least to show the, like, the human side of it. I think the Storms have done that well, where there's the clips they show, Nedlin for sure, the story he tells on Twitter. But imagine now it's like, like they can easily go like, oh, why is the guy writing these great threads? If they lose, what happens then? Like, now you must take those things away. And, and, and players will sort of feel like, no, we don't want to be on social media. No, we, we're not going to be ourselves because then when we lose, it comes back to part us. We're like, why can't it be? The, yeah, they lost, but they didn't lose because Joseph Taylor said they're going to fuck them up two weeks ago. That's what the, they didn't lose because of that. Like, maybe 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 the kid in his head is daughter, he, he, she might be a little scared for all of that, but like, but they didn't lose because of that. Like, it's, <laughs> that's not the, the reason why they lost the game. I, I want more of that. I, I do want them to, to keep sharing something. I do want them the players to be expressive and show to show true emotions because I mean that's why we that's why we love the game. That's what makes the storm so special. Like Dobbo leads that. Dobbo can't hide his emotions. Like and which is amazing. Like imagine he's just like you know what, fuck it, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything because because someone's gonna clip a video and then he's gonna come back to bite us. Everyone is reacting the same way. It's just one person used swear words. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, I I chat with someone this weekend and they were like yeah that was so not uncalled for and you know i hope he's learned his lesson like bugger off we were everyone every fan was was happy for for that moment and i'm with you people must be themselves don't be a doer you know be lacquer but be yourself as as daimani is the best it's like i can't i flip i wish i could remember what he said but that video that he that he put out about him being himself and i'm going to be myself unashamedly be myself but respect but respect you and that's it you know 
and then I think on the on the Victor's side, uh, Sean, we, we, I think we were talking about this before the um, the podcast. Craig Casey, I think he's on a, a legendary <laughs> bender um, right now. Um, I think the the as we're recording, I think the Munster um, homecoming celebration is going to happen tonight. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to make it. I think also Andy Farrell's calling the Irish squad on Wednesday. <laughs> he's definitely not making that. No. But there was a photo of him uh, and it was Gav Coombs standing next to each other in their, um, or oh, I'm going to get this wrong, they had um, jerseys on for his GAA. Anyway, the, the other massive sporting code in Ireland. It was a final on and they both supported other sides. But it was like on, on Sunday morning, and Craig is standing there in his in his glasses, and you can see through his glasses how bloodshot his eyes were, and they were mirror mirror glasses. <laughs> like <laughs> he, he just does not look happy, but he is absolutely ecstatic. His body is not happy, but that's okay. Like yeah, they they're gonna be jolling hard. They're gonna be jolling hard. What a flipping, what a brilliant. And I, I know I know I mentioned it, and you were gonna bring it in, but I, I can't not like. How flippin' awesome is this for Keith Earls? Like, that guy yeah. has been, he is a monster legend. I still think, I still think, without a doubt, probably in between, um, in between O'Driscoll and Ringrose, I think he would have been the best option at 13 for Ireland and for anyone. I, I really rate him as an outside center. But flip, that guy's done the hard yards for a long time. And this year, he gets to beat Leinster in Dublin. And he gets to win a title the first time in twelve years. Flipman, how awesome! Yeah, and uh, also with the the key tackle, I think on Angelo Davids when he basically yes. chased him down um, in the last few minutes as well. So yeah, that that old man Keithos has made yeah he's been impactful in defense in, in these last two games. Um, Cooks, do you want to maybe opine on whether Gav? I mean. Great Craig Casey or um Hajiva Daimani celebration has been better? No, 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 no. Hajiva Daimani set an incredible tone last year. That's that's <laughs> that, I think that's almost a really devastated. I think we were robbed of another week of Hajiva Daimani celebrations. I think um that kit was gonna be worn again for another. I think I think we went a week last time. I think I think it's gonna go two weeks this time because they would have gone back to back. So I think that's 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 we're the real losers there. That's that's what we needed to see again. But I mean, Craig Casey, I mean the, the plane, the plane definitely the plane right home is. I hope they they, they stocked up on the Guinness because the way he was going, <laughs> he wasn't stopping <laughs> any dub suit. I mean, but I love that. I love seeing players celebrate like that. I mean, I'll, I'll still never forget Alex Good when you basically lived in his kid for about a week as well. I, mean, I was <laughs> just gonna say. Saracens, Saracens won the premiership an hour before before that, and Alex Good started. So he's it's between him and Craig Casey to, <laughs> to he, earn he, that title this year. I think next year, like if, there needs to be like a, a like a triple threat match between Alex Good, Craig Casey, and Achieva Daimani, and see how long they go. <laughs> but and and they have to they have to start that one. They have to start. They have to start in Dublin. Then they have to they have to go to La Rochelle. They spend a week in each one. Then they have to go to um to to Cape Town and then fly back to to London and 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 Oaks as they fall off then then we'll have the the Royal Rumble champion. Yes, he cooks. Let's get this together, I mate. I love it. I think so. Like, <laughs> I, I know everyone's talking about the, like a global calendar and like yeah, that can wait. Let's let's, let's, let's get the best the best jewelers together and, and see. That's what I want to see. Like yeah, we we can deal with the uh, players resting and schedule. Yeah, yeah, that's all. That's all fine and well. Let's. 
let's let's get Rule, uh, Alex Good, Craig Casey, and Damani all over the world celebrating and see who's the last man standing. You know, yeah, I think that will be a brilliant triple threat. And Cooks, your opinion on the stadium DJ? I know Jared is already wanting to kill him for playing Sweet Caroline. Oh. The DJ, like sometimes the DHL stadium, can't, I don't think he realized how rugby game works because he's like he's like playing that um, that calm down song. It's like and they put the lyrics up there. I'm like they're about to scrum. It's like like I don't know I don't know whether to sing or like watch the scrum. I'm like man, can you like <laughs> it happened for a while. The DJ sometimes like um, he just sort of like loses loses their way. But like oh man, like Sweet Caroline is I'm also on the fence on it. But like I'm, I tell her the same thing you mentioned. Like we need we need more chance. I'm like. We need something better than like go stormers go or like defense defense like we need like like a chant or something or like a like a song that we can sing sort of like something we need to we've got like 100 days next to usc starts or like 90 odd days so we need to sort of work on it something but the same dj like yeah the, I, I felt like he was, was playing a 5m ultimate mix at six at a stage then forgot where he was <laughs> Yeah, and I think it was just very confusing that Stormers sounds the same as Monster. So I don't know if any of the two teams knew who was shouting for who. And then just a very quick final shout out. Um, I had a few Monster fans, like as I was congratulating them, come up to me and say how awesome Cape Towners and how awesome South Africans are as well. So I really hope that they all come back with their friends and spend your money here. We need it in South Africa as well. We're going to now focus on uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Premiership final where Saracens beat Sale 35-25 and also on the Springbok training squad that was announced on Saturday. And yeah, just talk through, you know, the, the additions and the surprises and all that sort of stuff as well. And yeah, one or two other rugby things. But yeah, let's start with um, the, the, the Premiership final. So Saracens won 35-25. They actually had a bit of a comeback um, late in the game. And Full disclosure, I haven't watched and I don't think Cook's watched the game as well, but I think the story of the game is Owen Farrell. I, I don't get what I don't get with um English rugby commentators and, and fans and pundits is that I, I listen to quite a few of them and oh, it, you would you would think that Owen Farrell hasn't played like good rugby in years or hasn't been the standard bearer at Fly Half for a long time. Like Yes, George Ford is a brilliant player. He's a really, really good player. But yeah, let's also not act like Owen Farrell hasn't been, you know, a great player basically for the last 10 years plus and hasn't been the one that's been consistent. Like there is a separation between Farrell and Ford. The The nice thing is that obviously they can play together, but there is a separation as to who's been more important in international rugby and who's been, you know, more successful in these types of games as well. And I mean, he was man of the match in this game. He, you know, was doing everything in terms of his kicking, his running. He even got a, a few big turnovers in the game as well. So, you know, I think it's quite clear now. This Ford Farrell debate it's becoming a bit like Serena Williams was Maria Sharapova. <laughs> oh, you, you know, Vitaly, you know, it's, it's easy to hate on fans. I think it's one of those things where it's it, it, like, we, I, mean, I think we, are uh, one of the few Faz fans, and we, and that uh, I think Twitter knows how we feel about Owen Farrell. Um, we, we don't hide that fact. Um, but um, yeah, I think obviously it's, it's always been looking for the next man, whether it's George Ford or Marcus Smith. And I think for me, it's always been Owen Farrell. I think he's still the answer at ten. And um, I know yes that you can play both by moving Farrell to twelve, but I do think 
they are at their best when, when Farrell's playing 10. I think that's has to be the way forward. Um, and, and he showed it again in the weekend, men of the match in the final, captains Saracens to another trophy. Um, and, and, and a dominant Saracens, but it was, it was a sorry, but Saracens left the best performance for, for, for the final. So, yeah, I think like for me, it's always been Farrell's time. I mean, I, yes, and, I, and, I, and I do really rate George Ford, and, but going, I think for him going forward, you just have to give Farrell the reins or whether Marcus Smith on the bench or George Ford on the bench. That's, that's a debate for another day. And um, yeah, Saracens sort of first title since since coming back from their from their ban. Um, the, the the true underdog story <laughs> as has has been painted out. Some of them like no one wants us to win. I'm like, of course no one wants you to win. I mean, like you 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 you, you cheated. You got punished for it. And it's, it's the same as like the Steve Smith thing when he was when he when he came back and captained one of the games, the Ashes, and people talk about like oh, this is worse from the Ashes. This guy that the game threw, threw him away. I'm like, no, you got banned. Like, don't throw him away. <laughs> don't say it was. It's always fun. It's funny when when the guys paint like this underdog story about these guys coming back from trials and tribulations. Like they are, they made the trials and tribulations for themselves. Like he wasn't injured for like the like Saracens didn't just leave the league for like for like a couple of years. And I think like Sean mentioned us before we went on that um, Paul Williams talked about uh, talk tweeted about the fact that how the salary cap issues, how the clubs in England are still facing that issue. Like how many clubs have gone up. I mean, clubs are just running on money. So, but Charles Saracens are back, back on the top of uh, England and probably with, back where they belong. Yeah, look, yeah, I think obviously the merits of what Saracens did and the effects it's had on English rugby are, are, you know, I think it's clear to see. Like they, and it's a bit worrying also from a South African perspective. Like I think this week it was announced that they're going to, uh, slightly relaxed the salary cap in South Africa to allow for four marquee players. And you're seeing literally the steps that England took um, in their rugby before, obviously, like two of the clubs have gone down and London Irish are also hanging on by a thread. And that's been because they've been trying to chase one club that's been obviously been able to spend and obviously spend illegally to keep their best stars. And now I'm also just worried that like, you know, if this marquee player thing becomes a thing where you can have four marquee players in South Africa, like all these teams are going to all try to chase each other and the money's going to run out eventually. And, you know, maybe Sorrow won't be in a position to save a, a team like the Stormers next time. And, you know, they won't be able to go through an administration process while they're still playing and can still play pay players and still be able to recruit players as well. So, that is worrying in, in one sense. But another thing on a less serious note is, Cooks, can we have one time that a team says, everyone believed in us, everyone wanted us to win, and we're happy to be the favorites and win? Because if it's not Saracens and rugby and Munster and in, in, in the URC, it's the Denver Nuggets in, in the NBA, it's Man City saying, you know, no one believed in us with our 115 financial fair play, um, uh, 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 you know, charges that we're facing. It's it's by Munich. Like everyone has the same story. Like, can we have? And I guess the only person that I that I'm looking at is maybe someone like Max Verstappen, like someone that can say, "Look, everyone expected me to win, and I'm winning." Yeah, like we can't all be underdogs. You can't all have a chasing the sun documentary. <laughs> like, like, oh no, like, like, what's going on here? Like, like you know, you're right because like I mean, like Saracens. I mean, I mean, they are they have been all season long the best side in in England. So it's like, yeah, you're you're expected to win. Like, I mean. Like the Denver Nuggets, like for like now, like oh, no one believes in us. You first, in, you're first in the Western Conference. Like you swept the Lakers. You were the, you were the best. Like you won, and like Man City, you're supposed to win. Like 
you can't always be like no one expects us to win. You can say maybe no one wants us to win. That's one thing. But like, if you, like yeah, you're right. It's sort of every team sort of trying to find a little, a little bit of sympathy here and there. But yeah, I agree with you. Like it's always the it's always a look for some sort of underdog story. I just think they're trying to sell documentaries. Like <laughs> maybe you, you I think to, so. Every every documentary needs a, a, a compelling story. So it's like um, so look out for. I'm sure Amazon Prime is already prepping the the Saracen story and it's it's gonna start off that deep like uh, like. All the, all the deep, like, like look where they were. They were, they were playing. They were playing the second division. They had to fight their way. They had to claw <laughs> their way back. And um, yeah, like, okay, cool, like, great story. Yeah, I mean, when the Kansas City Chiefs did that in the NFL, I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Patrick Mahomes' team is saying, "I believed in us." <laughs> oh no, it's like it is one of those things. Where you're like, you're like, I, 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 you're right because you you never have like, um, like. Where there's the favorites just go like, but maybe barring the All Blacks, maybe 2015 they were, they were like, well, I mean, we only lost two games in four years, so yeah, we just sort of wanted to be great and win a second one. I think that was the, <laughs> the one of the few sides I remember them like there was their narrative like we won one, like imagine us going back to back and being the first side to do that. See, that's also a great story though. Do you know what I mean? Like that's how I, I always think with these teams mm-hmm. like you being dominant also makes for a great story. Like it's it's it, 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 it's compelling in its own way. You don't have to create extra extra narratives. Yeah, so that is Saracens winning 35-25 to sale. Back on top of the tree, everyone now thinks Farrell, George, um, Itoje, and those players are, are all good again. And yeah, the genders for the likes of Ford and, and Smith and all those pretenders are going to, you know, just, just be quiet for a little while. But on to home matters, and we have a South African uh, a Springbok squad that's been released. It's a training squad that's been released. Um, that was released on Saturday. There's going to be the, the the squad that's going to train and just build up to the rugby championship for the next few weeks. Um, I won't go through all of the names. Um, it's pretty much, I mean, they're going to, to train in Durban. They're going to probably train from <laughs> pretty much now on until the rugby championship um, in July. But it's also a the big thing to note is number one, most of the France-based and the England-based players are not pretty are not eligible because France is still going on with their top fourteen, you know, until I don't know, like the middle of the World Cup, it seems like. And the England players, England's just jealous <laughs> pretty much because they're not releasing any of the players, even though the is <laughs> over. Like, I don't understand why Leicester and Harlequins are like, no, we don't want to release our players even though our season's over. It's a training squad. Maybe, maybe they just got their, like, their season awards coming up. They're like, no, yes, but you cannot go down and train. You have to be here for our <laughs> season award. We, we're not doing this thing where someone else is collecting the trophy for you. We want you there face-to-face. You're not putting together a video message, you're thanking the league and everything for being player of the year. No, we, you have to be there personally to come and pick it up. <laughs> Goodness. So, yeah. So basically, I think the 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 only real maybe surprises, if you can call it that, um, is maybe at the scrum off where not only Fafta Clark and Jane Hendrickson and Corbus Reinach have been picked, but also um Herschel Yankees and Grant Williams. That probably also indicates that Jaden Hendricks is maybe not at a hundred percent. Um, obviously from his injury. So there is maybe a small door that's open for. Um, Herschel Yankees and Grant Williams to possibly put themselves into ball contention if he doesn't um, recover. Um, the other, I don't know if it's a surprise anymore, but Manny Lubok is in this team. Um, Joe Dweber is in the team as well. So obviously 
based on their great performances for the Stormers. And obviously the big news is the return of Achis Neyman into um, a Springbok squad for the first time since the 2019 Rugby World Cup. Cooks, any surprises, any omissions, anything you want to really focus on in the squad? Um, yeah, not many surprises. I think obviously uh, I was slightly surprised not to see Elton Yankee. I thought, because um, obviously the, 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 the Pro D2 is done, I thought maybe they'll, they'll, they'll still want to have a look at him uh, in the trade squad. But I do think, I, I, I still do think he will feature in the rugby championship. I do think they'll, they'll want to have a look at him unless uh, the, 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 they sort of said he's done now and his injunction is done. But there's still a part of me that feels like they'll, they'll want to have a look at him still and see how he goes in the rugby championship. I know obviously last year was all the controversy around him, but I still think he can be a valuable member of the squad. I do think they'll probably want to have one last look at him in the rugby championship. But yeah, like you said, there's still the guys from England to come back. There's still guys who are still going to have a look in. So I, I, I'm not going to, no need to overreact to, to the squad now. But I mean, yeah, the names there is nothing surprising. Maybe like Ari Close must start, Johan Krobler. But I think in certain positions, I think like the hooker positions, it probably does look like it's, it's going to lean towards those three guys when in Kitsoff, I mean, in Kitsoff, in, in Marks, uh, Bongi, and and Dweb. I think that's going to be the three that goes to the World Cup with Dion for recovering. So yeah, I'm, I'm not too surprised. I, I don't think we'll see too many surprises. Come World Cup time, I think obviously it's just about trimming a few guys, whether it's whether Jaden will be back for World Cup time or can Ocean Angus force his way in. Um, and I think that's there. And I, like there's not many, there's not too many squad positions up for grabs. So that, that's how I feel. I, I think the box do sort of know now what what they want to pick come World Cup time. I think now it's obviously about sorting out the probably, I mean, how many guys in the World Cup? But 33, hey? Guys going to the World Cup. Yeah, 33. Yeah, I think they probably, probably a sake of, will they take an extra backline player, will they take an extra flank, or will they keep Dion Vrien and as a third hooker, maybe bring in an extra. I think those are the questions they're going to ask themselves now, but I think the core of that squad, I'll probably say the 25, 26, 27 maybe, are sort of settled and they know who's going to the World Cup. But yeah, not too many surprises. I think the great thing now for the coach, and I saw a clip of Jacques, you know, by saying like, they're just excited to get on the field now. I mean, they've, had so many planning meetings, so they're just keen to have the players. I mean, I mean the players pretty much belong to them now until 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 the World Cup. So which is going to be exciting. Yeah, and just to go through quickly the the, the Springboks plans for preparation. So um, they have this meeting in Durban now, basically, and then they'll go into another training camp from twelfth to thirtieth of June. I think that's when at least the majority of um, the other overseas players will be available, probably with only exception being, I think the top 14 finals happening on the the, the 18th of June. So they you know, probably just obviously finish up the, that competition. So then there'll be a, a training camp in preparation for the rugby championship. Then in terms of matches scheduled, it is Australia at Loftus at the 8th of July. Then on the 15th of July, it's the All Blacks in, 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 in Auckland the 29th of July, so a week break. And then the 29th of July is Argentina at home. Then 5th of August, they fly to Buenos Aires against to play Argentina. Now, this is now a World Cup warm-up match. So only three matches in the rugby championship, and then they go into the warm-ups in August. So 5th of August in Buenos Aires, 19th of August in Cardiff against Wales. And then the 25th of August, it's against New Zealand in London. And then the, the the first match for the Springboks in the Rugby World Cup is the 10th of September. So it's basically 
yeah, it's it's basically the 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 boulders going downhill um, for the for the for the next few months up until the Rugby World Cup. Cooks, I am I, I, I won't lie. I'm just worried that I don't know when these bog players will rest or get to rest because um, we know now, obviously, from the last two seasons that you know we are both in the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere in our rugby at the same time, which means that we don't really have a, 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 a particular off season. So this would be now the time where the Northern Hemisphere teams are going to be off and they're going to probably, you know, the Northern Hemisphere teams are, yes, going to probably rest and recover, but they're not going to be playing any serious games up until August. Um, whereas we have a full um, rugby championship to play and a lot, an, another bout of traveling to do um, in July. And the Southern Hemisphere teams have obviously, they rested at the start of the year or at the end of last year. They're going to wrap up the Super Rugby and then prepare for the Rugby Championship. So, and never mind, you know, some of those local players we can manage. Obviously, they have had, you know, their enforced rest through um, SA Rugby. But overseas players like Pollard and, and Visa and Colby, I mean, they are played every week by their clubs, come rain or come sunshine. So it's going to be very difficult. And that's going to be, I think, the biggest challenge for the Springboks to make sure that their squad, whoever gets picked in the final squad, are all peaking basically in October when the games get serious in the Rugby World Cup. And I mean, yeah, I mean, even the September games are going to be important, but yeah, they need to be pick, they need to be in peak condition then. And I don't know if there's going to be a chance for them to really rest and recover. Yeah, it is going to be tough. I think I'm sure, like, well, like you said, like, I think there's Cambrans until Wednesday, so I'm sure the likes of Kitsoff and the Stormers guys and the guys who sort of play the tail in the competition, they'll, they'll probably have about two weeks off until the 12th be able to put their feet up and rest. I know I know in England, the players do have a forced rest time after the season before they can do anything. I think that's maybe why the likes of Leicester are holding on to their players. I think they I think they about the two or three forced break before they can do anything. Um, I think that that'll be the best time, but it, it is tricky. I think it's, it's, it's a tricky one because, yeah, like you said, Guys are coming off a long season, and we, we now we're gonna go do the, the southern hemisphere part of it. But it's also the, the slight advantage we have is the fact that going to the rugby championship, we have more time with the the box have more time together because yeah. the Super Rugby final is only on the twenty fourth, giving giving the All Blacks and um, the Wallabies essentially two weeks as a squad to to prepare because you know like the likes of the Blues Crusaders and and the Chiefs sort of could go down the tail end, and the likes of the Brumbies could go down the tail end, so. That's a less time as a squad as a whole to be together with the box would have had almost a month together before as a full squad before the rugby championship, which I think would, would play in our favor. But I do think the box will f- sort of find ways to manage this. I think hopefully come by the end of this year, that hopefully there's some way that we can find players to rest um, after the World Cup. Because you're because unfortunately we could face a situation where we get to the World Cup. Let's say we even go the way where. The, the, the clubs go okay, cool, Nasser. Nice, great celebrations, but now we need Henry Pollard to play against play against Sale into in, next week because uh, the England players on a mandatory rest. Like that, that could be a situation we face. And but um, yeah, I think I do think the guys, I mean, the coaches, they sort of do have a plan to sort of try find a way to manage them. I mean, they they did have that big break in I think it was January or Feb or end of Jan. They had that break as well with about two three weeks where the guys weren't involved were in camp, but also weren't involved in any rugby well. So. I think they have found a way to manage it, but I do hope that you are right that we do peak at the right time. But and um, sort of come July, we'll be good to go. But I do think we'll see quite a bit of rotation in the rugby championship as well. I mean, we have six tests 
So it's going to be interesting. I think we named this. We named our squad early at August, early August. We named our World Cup squad. Yeah. I think basically once they've come back from the Buenos Aires game, I think the squad will be announced, and then they go off to Cardiff and and London for those warm up games. So I think yeah, uh, the tenth of August, something like that. That's going to be when the squad's announced, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So I think yeah. So I'm sure we'll see a little bit. Of- rotation going into especially the maybe the 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 Argentina test in Buenos Aires maybe we do see a thing where maybe we leave the likes of Kitsov Mahalba and those Oaks we leave them here in South Africa so they don't have to go all the halfway across the world and sort of come back I I mean I'm not going to throw away a competition but maybe the rugby championship isn't our biggest fighter this year so maybe like last year when we played Wales where the test against Bloom where we basically essentially made 14 changes I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too surprised if we don't see that for that for that test in Buenos Aires. I just can't see what mm-hmm. they wanted the guys to go from South Africa to New Zealand and then to Buenos Aires and come back to South Africa, rest for two weeks, and have to fly to Wales. So I would be I would be surprised. Like I think it was 2019 when we sort of sent some guys to New Zealand and some guys stayed behind to play Australia. I think mm-hmm. we might see a, a similar situation where maybe we keep some guys here in South Africa to play against Australia. Some guys go to New Zealand and the bulk of the guys who played in SA sort of sort of goes off to Argentina. Just to sort of, just to sort of, um, just to sort of, yeah, even the load. If that happens, I called it first on the fifth of fifth twentieth <laughs> of May, twenty twenty three. I'm just, I'm just saying it. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? This is gonna make people mad, but I think they have to um, change or like um, do a one eighty on what they did um, in in twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen, we played basically a second team against the Wallabies at home. And then we flew with our first team to New Zealand and we drew with them. I think this time it makes more sense, especially with the miles and the traveling that the that the local players have done in the URC, is that you play your first team against the Wallabies in the fifth, and then you play your second team against the All Blacks away from home. Probably get pumped by the All Blacks, but it doesn't, I don't think it serves anyone for our best players to fly to New Zealand. Like you said, they're gonna fly to New Zealand, fly back to South Africa play in South Africa against Argentina, fly to Buenos Aires, fly back to South Africa, have the squad announced and them getting a blazer and Odd Matthews or Kurt Darren messing up the national anthem, then fly to <laughs> Cardiff for the World Cup. Like that, all that traveling for a Kitzel for a Malhoba doesn't make sense. At least this will be first class traveling and not, you know, on your seat budgets with people flying, you know, economy. But yeah, I, I, I think the best way to preserve you know, the URC players who had a high, uh, a high workload, especially the Stormers players and the overseas players that have pretty much played every week in the last like nine months is to probably not make them travel to the away games up until they go to the World Cup. So, you know, the Kitsovs, the France Malabas, um, you know, uh, Jasper Visa, Andre Pollard, I, I don't necessarily think they should be playing any away games up until the Rugby World Cup. Like, give the chance to those Sharks players that have, you know, played, not played any rugby in the last month. Like, they can actually get into it and, you know, um, do their part for the country. I mean, I saw so many videos of Bongi Bonambi gymming. I mean, sure, I mean, you must be gymming because you've had no rugby to play the last month because your team um, got knocked out so early in, in all these competitions. So maybe the one good thing about the Sharks being horrible is that a, a good chunk of our Springboks are going to be match fit. Yeah, sort of. The, they'll be they'll be well off, and I mean, I know the All Blacks put the game at Auckland, in in Auckland. I mean, we can 
take the Eden Park record next year or sometime. Yeah, Cooks. Yeah. It's not even. Sorry to interrupt you. It's not even in Eden Park. It's in Mount Smart Stadium. I think that's where Northland plays. Like they're not even taken Whoa. seriously here. Yeah, we go again. <laughs> you know what, Jay? Sanzo is going to be the death of me. Why are we like? I understand. I understood like in 2017 and and 16, 17, like we played in New Plymouth. We won a great side. We were the flipping defending champions. Let us just play in Eden Park. I think just for that, like we must, no, no, no. You see now, now we must send like we must, we must send like a Johnny Lombard and all oh, they must go play there then, if they want to come with this nonsense. Like we're gonna play Eden Park. Oh, Tala, I swear to God, Sanzo is gonna be the death of me. Because these ones are not serious. <laughs> what the hell are we playing in, in Northlands? Like, like this is with the world champions. I keep telling you, last year, the All Blacks got to go to Bombela, which is awesome, and they got to Joburg. Next time we play the All Blacks, if we're not, if we're not playing them in Kimberley, or we're not playing them in Valko, I'm going to be very pissed off. Because clearly, these ones don't <laughs> like nice That's what they must play. They must play there. No more Durban, Cape Town, or, or Joburg. We're going to send them to Kimberley, and we tell them we can't drive back after the game to come party in Joburg. They must, they must stay there. <laughs> I'm like trying Mount, to check how many, Mount, Mount how Nugino many people, rest people. Okay, Shane, to be fair, Mount Smart Stadium's capacity. Oh, no, no, no. I, I read this wrong. I was about to say the Mount Smart Stadium capacity is 47,000. I was like, okay, not too bad, but it's actually 30,000. It's only 47,000 for concerts when people can obviously go on the grass. So yeah. the stadium is not even bigger than, I mean, I think there's like, there's probably like, um, very minor, like PSL um, stadiums that are bigger than this. Like the stadium Toyando probably is bi- bigger than one smart stadium. Yeah, why are you playing there? But probably, it's probably a Tuesday as well, those, those, those bastards. <laughs> that's what they're, they're going to make the game on a Tuesday. Now, gonna, now the bastards are playing Saturday and playing Tuesday like they're playing Craven Week. <laughs> I will not comment as to whether it's on Tuesday or not. Let's let's leave that for another podcast so they can really blow up. <laughs> if that happens, I'm gonna, if that happens, if that happens, I'm going to single-handedly destroy the rugby championship. That's going to be my new mission in life. I'm going to dedicate every <laughs> any clout and power that I have to, to destroy the rugby championship. Let me, we'll find like Tonga and Georgia. Like we'll, we'll go join the Six Nations. We'll do something because this is like, might, like 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 when you play Ireland. Like don't like we, we don't play anywhere else besides the Viva because they you know they understand. But like we always. Make teams play nice place. Even nice place is a great place to play. I mean, the vibe there was amazing. But now we must go play in these random stadiums in New Zealand. Like, ah, these guys don't respect us. They don't respect us. As guys. <laughs> yeah, and no, that's going to be interesting to see what how, how how the how the rugby championship and how the Springbok squad is going to be managed in the next few months. Um, actually, yeah, very quickly, I don't think we we talked about this. Do you think this? Yeah, because um, the Pro D two is finished. Ajen is done. Alta Yankees wasn't picked. Is this something that we need to read into or should we just wait until the next squad is announced but because maybe he's being held back? Um, I think that's something to read into. I think, I think when the way they've talked about him in, in, the, in, in the squad, I think that he's still there, that factor, they still trust him and still want him to be around. But I think I don't want to sort of overthink it now until the next squad gets announced. Um, I do think, and a part of me still thinks they will never look at him before the World Cup. Sort of bring him back. I still think he is a viable option. You know, last year, I mean, they picked him without playing many games. So now he's going through. He's played. I think he's going through a season in the Pro G Two. He's played rugby. So yeah, I think maybe they will never ever look at him. Spend some time at home. But yeah, well, I'll probably. I think the best time to tell is what happens in the camp in the middle of June. If he's not there, then it sort of could be yeah, curtains on his book career. 
yeah so let's see what happens um after that as well Cooks, just finally just quick few things just to look at i mean page top 14 is now set up there um they 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 um their next round of matches so they have their top six Toulouse and La Rochelle are qualified they're going to be in the semi-finals automatically and then Stade France is going to be playing your precious racing um in one of the qualifiers and the other one's going to be Lyon versus Bordeaux um yeah Stade France has been third for pretty much the whole season racing has been all up and down um are you going to predict uh, Racing, they're going to finally turn it around and actually be good in, in knockout games now. Is Finn Russell going to actually, you know, deliver in a game that counts? Tyler, I am, first and foremost, I am done with uh, Racing Racing 92. I am, uh, I've, <laughs> once Finn Russell signed for Bath, I, I, I left with him. And then also, they came all the way to Joburg, the city that I stay in, and they did not bring Finn Russell. Once that <laughs> happened, I was like, I want, I want them to, I want them to, no, 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 I want them to get to the final. And I want them to lose by a very controversial refereeing decision in the last minute. That's what I want for Racing 92. I want them to have as much hope as possible and then for it to be taken away. But Finn Russell must be subbed off first, so he's not, so he's not so he's don't blame him. I just want them to go to the absolute worst possible pain that can happen. I want ref, bad refereeing decisions. That's like in the last minute, they lose, they, they lose by penalty. I want them to have hope because I am so done with Racing 92. I'm a bath man now. I'm already, I'm already trying to find out where in the wreck I'm going to sit. Um, or like if blue, if the blue and white hoops are good for my skin. Like I, I'm already embracing life in the, in, in the premiership. I'm, I'm, I've moved on now from the, from the top 14. By the way, the top 14, why is the competition still going on? Like when's the beginning? Like the day before the World Cup starts? Like why are they still playing does, does, France, does France know they're hosting the World Cup? I don't think they I don't know. Think, I, I don't think they do. Like, like all the winter sports are basically done. So the football season is done. All the other leagues are done in rugby. This guy's just going on until like like they, they're trying to play like they, they're trying to play like super rugby times the same time as European rugby calendar. I'm like, <laughs> why are you guys still playing rugby? How can the quarterfinals just be starting when everyone else is finished? Like, what do they do when other teams play? Like when the URC and the they just like just not play. They're the one league that actually does have you know 14 financially <laughs> viable teams, and they all I guess play each other home and away. To be fair. Man, it is the world. Like, by the time they finish the season, like, like Russia would have been a month of being European champion. Like, a whole month would have mm. gone by since they've won the Champions Cup. That's like the Champions League, Champions League final being played in September, but the Premier League ends in May. <laughs> Racing is, I mean, I mean, La Rochelle's already released their new um, kit with the two stars. Toulouse have also released their kit for next season um during the last match of the of the of the season like yeah this is just going crazy now like this is going to be going on too long when does the next season start in, like like in july so you're basically like a week off and you're gonna go again <laughs> i don't know like spare thought for fabian galtier he has to sit through another three weeks just making sure that his key players can just get through these next three weeks so that they can be around for the world cup i mean he must be he was probably the one person that was like trying to pray for like Toulouse and, and La Rochelle to get out of this tournament early somehow. Yeah, 100%. He wants Stade France to win everything. Yeah, let, let Jeremy Ward be a hero for, for, for the next couple of three weeks and then DuPont and them can get to camp immediately. I mean, like, yeah, they're hosting the World Cup and it's the only tournament still going on. So, oh, that is wild. Yeah, so it's, um, it's, it's, it's um, Stade versus um, Larish. I mean, Stade versus Racing, and then Lyon versus Bordeaux. Then we also have the promotion relegation game between Grenoble and Perpignan. 
um, Grenoble winning the Pro D2. Oh, no, sorry. They lost the Pro D2 to Oyana, and they're going to now be in the um, playoff final. Grenoble, I'm just looking through their team sheet to see if there's any um, familiar names. I can't see anyone that I know personally. But yeah, they're going to be facing Perpignan. Perpignan have um, uh, Tristan Tedder as one of their players. They yeah, they they're going to be trying to yeah, obviously keep into keep keep their place in the top fourteen. And then finally, Super Rugby also still going on. But yeah, they're now going to the final round. They have a five-team battle for the last two um, places in the in the playoffs. Who have the privilege of being beaten by the Chiefs and the Crusaders in the quarterfinals. Nonetheless, um, it, the Reds, the Highlanders, the Western Force, Fijian Drua, and the Rebels are all basically fighting against each other to get to to qualify for the for the knockouts. Um, I really hope I, I don't really care who else qualifies, but I really hope the Drua gets in. Um, they had a very entertaining 46-45 win against Moana um, Pacifica this weekend. And yeah, we need that sort of rugby in the lot. I mean, they're going to get like thrashed by whoever, the Chiefs or the Crusaders, but we do need them in the in the last eight. I love a, I love a tournament where you can be second last and still have a chance to make the quarterfinals. That's just my type <laughs> of rugby. Like, <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> like, just, like... For the sake of this, like you can't lose nine games out of thirteen and still be in the mix. Like, like you can make like it's like what's that? It's like, it's like the imagine that they're playing games still. Like that should add much. Like the NBA, they'll add that next year. So if you come twelfth, you can still have a chance to make it in the quarter. But yeah, I think it'd be <laughs> awesome to have like the Fiji and Drew. I think they help them. They beat the Crusaders earlier, so that would be a hell of a story to have them in. Um, yeah, flip. It's, it, it actually has been a good season. I mean, the Reds have been sort of the last couple of weeks have been very, very good. Um, it's called the try of the week, the try of the season so far. Mm. The weekend, you see that try cheap as I was probably, yeah. What the then, hell? Um, I mean, the whole, the whole try was all just what the hell moments, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was like brilliant. I must add quickly, last round because all my rants come from flipping super rugby and Sansa. Like, every time there's a great try, it, it, like, every time you post, like, hey guys, what a great try, there's always someone that goes, yeah, but attacking is poor. I'm like, don't you like nice things? Like, don't you like nice <laughs> things? Like, yes, just like, oh, but it's gonna, oh, it's gonna bad on my stomach. Not, like, what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> like every time I see those things, like guys go to try, oh, the tackling is so poor. I'm like, what do you want to see? Do you, do you want to see like pick and go tries the whole time? Like, usual, like, don't you want to see guys missing tackles and running a length of the field? But um, yeah, I'm glad the Reds are doing well. So the Reds will they will fight back. But yeah, Super Rugby's done. I think now with there's been so much rugby on, so I'm, I'm very excited to sort of the last couple of weeks focus on super rugby. Keen to, I mean, the Chiefs are doing well. Blues are Blues are fighting. I'm sure the Blues will probably give their fans hope and then sort of let them down again <laughs> as they do in, in some way or another. But I'm, I've got a sneaky eye on the Brumbies. I think maybe they could, this, this potentially they could do something. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them maybe sneaking their way into a final. So... As the, the the bracket is at the moment, so the Chiefs will face whoever is eighth and the Crusaders face eight, whoever is seventh. The Blues will face the Waratahs, probably the Blues win. The Brumbies will have the Hurricanes um, in Canberra. Tough game, but probably the Brumbies win that game. Then the semifinals will be Crusaders versus Blues. Cooks, I think, has already resigned himself to disappointment there. We kind of know what that game, how that game is going to turn out. Blues going to look Ta-da. like they're going to win. The blues is um, the Crusaders' daily bread. That's the problem. 
Who's the, I mean, was on the beat them. Let me not, let me not jinx them. I, I do like I do support the Crusaders and the Super Rugby, so let me not, let me not jinx us now. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think we know how that usually turns out. And then the Chiefs versus Brumbies. Yeah, I like your hope for the Brumbies, but I mean the Chiefs did really, you know, pump them this weekend or last weekend. So not so sure. There was thirty-one points to twenty-one to the Chiefs, and they played in Canberra. So. Don't know how confident the Brumbies will be to face them in a semi-final the next few weeks. And I mean, you never know it's Super Rugby because you'll turn on a game and then realize that all the Wallabies, all the All Blacks are being rested. But this was pretty much <laughs> big versus trend. Yeah, you are right. They, they don't tell they, they, don't, they don't tell anyone. They, I think the the, the, the Museum Rugby Union just tells the coaches on Thursday. Like, oh, by the way, the um, Rikuyuane and Baron Bed aren't available this weekend. But like, you're like, then why do they train all week? They and the worst thing is they always do it for like games that it's because uh, I've just really been struggling with making myself available on like Friday and Saturday mornings. It's just worked out this year that, you know, those are the times I have things on. So the one rare Friday or rare Saturday, I'm like, great. I can see, you know, like Highlanders or Hurricanes versus like Brumbies or something. Sit down and you're just like, no Geordie Barrett. No Adi Sevilla, <laughs> no Lili Like, what the hell am I watching? I'm watching the Australian under-20s against the New Zealand under-20s. Like, I'm no, good. I don't pretty much. And, then, and then when you're busy, it's like an absolute cracker. You're like, oh, now they're going <laughs> to... Like, 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 what the hell, guys? Like, no, I, I, I've been caught up that get. I think I've watched more games of Fergus Blake this year than I have in my entire life. And you, know, and you know how I feel about that. You know how I feel about that guy. I don't think I've watched, like, the full-strength Chiefs yet. So I'm... I genu- and I was genuine. I wasn't even trying to throw shade at them. I asked a few weeks ago, okay, are the Chiefs like for real? Like with this win streak and them being top of the log? Or is this one of those, they look good, but they don't look like they're going to be good in a knockout game? And yeah, a lot of people said, no, they, they, they seem to be for real this season. I can't even really verify. I, I'm just pretty much going off on what everyone else is saying, that they, um, uh, 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 McKenzie's um, Damian McKenzie's looking really good. I mean, Sean Stevenson, like everyone wants to make him an All Black, uh, you know those sort of players. But I haven't, <laughs> I haven't really personally seen it apart from like five minute highlights and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, you're right, Sam. I think I'm. Not, I was, I'm not. Oh, I watched them beat the Crusaders twice. They are for real. They are, they're, they're playing incredible. Like Damian McKenzie's, oof, he's on form form. I think he's probably. Wanting to answer the question, who's going to play ten next year? Because I mean, I think mm. at this rate, all the Moanga and Bottom Bad are leaving next year. So, so yeah, it's just, Chiefs have been flipped. They've been good, and and Chiefs they're probably the, the, probably one of the best sides in the world rugby to watch when they when they're cooking. So yeah, they're definitely worth this with, with, with the last one, but definitely deserve to be number one. And cooks, what's any um, school schools rugby you're you're going to be assigned to in the next few weeks that you're looking forward to? Um, just more like I think everything's leading up to Craven Week now. I think at the end of June, that's the big one in down in George. Um, yeah, I feel like Bloom is on an absolute tear at the moment. Mm-hmm. Just, they, mm-hmm. they, put, they put sixty on Afi's couple of weeks ago, and they just put thirty on Monument on the weekend. So they're on an absolute tear. Um, Bishop's got a good win. What's what's been really cool is the Durban schools. The Durban schools have all been playing very very well. So like DHS having a good year, my class having a good year, Hilton's. Having a good year, um, Marisburg College. They're also having a good year, so it's been really cool. I think Durban's they've got a very good side. So the Craven Week side, I think, the, the, beside them and probably Free State are, are my shots, my early picks to win Craven Week. But um, yeah, the school season now sort of it's exams now, so almost time for exams. So 
sort of sort of quieting down, and then it's the big um, Cravenwick stretch. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, speaking of Cravenwick and just completely omitted to discuss them in the sort of rugby roundup is the Curry Cup. <laughs> just realizing that I completely forgot about that tournament. Um, yeah, and in this tournament, it's also hotting up now. I think we are two weeks away from the finish, two more matches, and Sharks and, and the Cheetahs are pretty much in for the, for the knockouts. Um, Pumas are probably going to be in as well, and then there's a three, four, a four, a four race, a four team race for for fourth place between Western Province, the Lions, the Bulls, and the Griquas. I think most of these teams are, you know, the 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 former URC teams are just adding their URC players back. I mean, I saw Alrich Lowe playing a, a Curry Cup game, and I, <laughs> I don't think this is what the Curry Cup should be for now. I don't think this should be the Okay, I failed in the in the URC and the Champions Cup. Let me try to redeem myself by winning the Curry Cup. I'm talking to you, Jake White. Yeah, I don't know what your opinion on this is, Cooks, but I yeah, think if you play in the URC, like if you play like ten games in the URC, you can't be allowed to play in the Curry Cup. So that, like I said, that, that big rest period would be nice to see those guys getting a rest. I think obviously looking for, I think I, I would definitely see like the, I, I'd love to see the more that the French players in the URC getting more game time in the Curry Cup. I think that's what it, <laughs> what it would be for. Though, though, because the guys that say who weren't starting and now at least they, they can get a game in the Curry Cup. But yeah, I mean, I think also it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a two-edged stone because also like to have some of a few established guys for the Curry Cup, it does sort of boost, it does boost the competition as well. You're sort of going to have more, you're going to have more sort of guys watching because I mean, you look at I me mean, so fast, he was playing, Chuchu was playing, Vince was playing for the Sharks and, I, and, and it reminds me of the time like when the Springbok season ends, like the Rugby Championship ends and then you get to the Simpson finals and all the spring box are back and the guys have got them there. They've got to sort of take the back seat. So I think it's, 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 it's going to be something similar. Um, so, so some of the Stormers players made me laugh. They're like, yes, we go from preparing for a Curry Cup, a, a URC final, and now we must plan for a trip to, to Kimberley for, on Friday. You go from, from URC final to back to Kimberley. Like that's, a, that's humbling. That, that, that's, a very, that's, a, that's very humbling in itself. But. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's nice to obviously get more youngsters in, but I do think also in terms of just it's gonna be nice for the Curry Cup sort of hopefully the next couple of weeks to be to get it's to get its shine and more people can watch because there's, there's no URC now we can sort of see more players playing in it and yeah, I mean like the likes of like some the, the like we, we won't see any Danish spring box, but I mean like it'd be interesting like to see how many like like kids of how many Curry Cup caps you he will have by the time he retires and I'm sure you've been got probably got like 15 Curry Cup caps as a, as a total in his mm. career. But um, yeah, I think it'll be good. Yeah, I think it'll be good rugby in the next couple of weeks with the Curry Cup one. Yeah, I think Elizabeth probably has as many Curry Cups as us combined. Um, yeah, I think let's let's probably wrap up the 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 podcast on that. Um, yes, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to this bumper edition of the Rugby Bits podcast. Please like, share, subscribe this to this podcast. Give us a five star rating. Um, let everyone in your world know about this podcast so you can share it with the rugby world. And yeah, please follow us on any of this, of our social media channels. I'm on, on Twitter, on Facebook, on, on Instagram as well, and, and visit the Rugby Bits website as well. We're going to be probably starting to now focus our eyes on, on international rugby as the other tournaments start to end. And yeah, we're going to probably try to cook up a few things um, for the next few weeks. Thank you so much. <laughs>